All right, so we're getting into halflings now. So I wanted to ask you guys, what is the luckiest moment of your life? Oh, Grab right. dice. I, w- I want to hear I it. I got dice. That's an 18 for me. I got a seven going last. All right, Brad, you're up first. All right. Are you guys ready to get sappy? Oh, shit. Oh, here we go. I know. Is it your wife? It genuinely is, but it's not going to be, oh, I'm so lucky that I have my wife. But genuinely, the fact that we met is just pure luck. Um, we met through mutual friends that we only had one chance that this was ever going to happen. And we both appeared at the same party that neither of us actually were planning on going to. But at the last minute, we both decided to go and we met. And I genuinely believe that's Mary Wings and she was a fairy. So let me get this straight. She went as a fairy princess. You flashed her and then now you're married. Correct. Okay. Oh. Gotcha. Megan? <laughs> There's something there. <laughs> What's your um, I actually wrote down my partner too, unfortunately. God. We- <laughs> so I better wrote down two different things. So I'll go real quick. So my so the thing about my partner and I, we actually randomly met through ICQ. Oh, I forgot when, that even existed. Back when there was no security measures for online nonsense, there was mm-hmm. a random meet person button. Yeah. Oh, I remember. I love that. We met randomly clicking that button back when we were 12 or 13 years old. So, yeah. you know, parents, good job. Um, <laughs> but then the other one I actually wrote down, like I was thinking about um, the D&D group, you guys, was actually a very lucky moment for me because not a lot of people know that, but I was going through a real shit time when I started uh, playing D&D with you guys. I remember you mentioning that you were in the middle of moving and it wasn't going well. And then we all, at the time, were like, we'll help you move. Like, the first time we met yeah. you. Yeah. And you're like, no, leave me alone. Yeah, get out of here. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't like your, I don't need your, your kindness. <laughs> <laughs> Never trust a kind stranger. Yeah, but no, it actually changed things a lot for me that year. It changed, put a lot of different things in a lot of different directions. And I met a lot of people that I care a lot about now. So it was a good changing moment in my adulthood. I think. No, that that's good. I had originally meant uh, was going to talk about the beginning of the podcast, which is a, just pure stroke of freaking luck that that yeah. happened at all. But uh, because you guys brought up the partners, I met Mieka randomly. I happened to check a message board moments after she'd posted. Um, and we were on a writing forum. And so she was looking for someone to talk to about writing. And I'm like... And I, and I saw this question. I went, I could answer that. But that's long-winded. I'm not going to get into it. And so I, I didn't. And then, like, two days later, I hop in again, and I see the same username pop up with the same question. I'm like, oh, that's shitty. Did nobody answer? That's kind of balls. And But I was at work, and so I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll do this when I get home, and I never did. And then, like, a week after that, I saw the third one, and it was the same question again. And I'm like, everybody here sucks. And I know that it's a long, in-depth answer, but I'm going to sit down. I'm going to do this. So I did. And it, and every time that I had looked, she was the most recent post on the forum, yeah, yeah. which never happens. Like, yeah. That should get cycled through oh, yeah. so, so quickly. Fast. So yeah. so that was just pure luck. But my real answer is for the podcast. I hadn't seen Dan in like eight years, and he happened to be behind me at the Tim Hortons drive through, and he laid on the horn, and I like sent him a text message, and I, like we we ended up all right. Well, we're gonna go for a coffee. So I sent him a coffee, knowing that I was losing two people out of my D&D group. And Dan plays D&D. So I was talking to him about it. He's like, oh, it sounds like a lot of fun. I'm like, why don't you come join? And then if you like it, if you're a good fit with the people that are left. And Terry was one of them. Um, and then, so we were looking for this fourth person who ended up being Megan after that, right? Boom. Wow. So, Double luck. <laughs> but, so Dan joined and we were sitting there talking for about, oh, four or five weeks about this. And we finally turned to each other and said, you know, we should do a podcast. We were carpooling. I'm like, he said, we should do a podcast. I'm like, yeah, I've kind of been thinking about that. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of stoked about it. Let's w- let's talk about it after D&D. So we got there. We played like 10 hours of D&D. We turn around. We walk out. And as we're leaving, Terry's like, hey, guys, do you want to do a podcast? 
Like that same freaking day. And I'm like, this is, it's fate. We got to do it now. Yeah. And then it took us eight months to get our act in order. But here you are. What is this? Episode 89? Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) And that's just the standard podcast, not to count everything else. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. So. So I'm going to say though, in a year, we need to check back because you'll probably be divorced. I will probably not be with my partner and Mieka will not make it to Canada. Uh, yeah, no. The <laughs> We've United- not left it. Now said too many good things, the world is going to come crashing down. I, I think the United States is already on fire and yeah. just going to move east from yeah. California. So. <laughs> I'm a positive person, I promise. Clearly. <laughs> Speaking of displaced people, let's talk about halflings. Yay! Hey! Welcome to another episode in our conversation about the playable races in D&D 5th edition. I'm Adam, and with me this week are Brad and Megan, and this episode is called Halflings, Enjoying a Half Pint of Light Stout. Ooh. Oh. So cute, right? <laughs> God damn it, Adam. I, I changed it on the way here, and I love that so much better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the original one was 50% lings. It was fine, <laughs> but this is better. Yeah. It should have been 50% off lings. <laughs> So, um, I hate you all. <laughs> so, halflings, in, uh, before we get started, guys, before you prepped for this episode, before you knew we were doing it, how did you feel about halflings? I've always loved halflings from always. Why? Hobbits. Yeah. And as soon as I came into D&D and started reading through the book, I was like, yes. Didn't they used to be called hobbits at one point before they actually became affiliated and then they had to change it? I don't think so. I, I mean... Maybe, maybe like pre it was pre publishing of like, first I edition. I mean, like yeah, like pre publishing nonsense. Maybe so. uh, I'm not entirely certain. I know that the copyright reasons they can't. Yes, right? obviously. <laughs> but Megan, how did you feel about them? Um, I'm actually currently playing one right now. Are you? So I actually really like them. I enjoy them as as a people. I absolutely love halflings, yeah. and I have no idea why I do. I, I gravitate toward them. I, I know why I do. I relate to them. They are like my. <laughs> Spirit people. Like, I, I love dwarves, like but I don't relate to, not size-wise, but just, we'll get into it, but everything about them They're I can almost relate people. to. <laughs> um, I have played three D&D characters in the last four years, and two of them have been halflings. Charm. Yeah, well, we'll talk about that in a little bit as well, but first and foremost, so you guys like halflings? Love halflings. What's your go-to, your initial thing is hobbits, right? That's what everybody thinks of? Yeah. Yeah. Just merry old good positive people. All right. So in every episode, we have to talk about the idea of using the word race. Yes. Which is not really true and applicable. I mean, these are almost different species. Species. Um, And we know that with uh, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything that's coming, they're changing that now to be legacies. Yeah. Which Mm, is cool. I don't know how I feel about the mix and match of stat blocks and whatnot. Because I really like what the PHP has to offer up, except for Dragonborn. That's kind of shit. That's a future episode, but... Why don't they have tails? I'm just kidding. Keep on. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to stick with calling it races, because that's what's published, and we're going off the PHP for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, we hope that we don't offend anybody, um, but we are talking about generalities, and it's an odd conversation to have as far as context goes, especially yeah, in today's world. We're in it right now. So we, uh, we acknowledge that we're dealing with old um, material. We acknowledge that Wizards is going to be publishing new material about this, and there will be an update. I'm sure 6th edition will have different phraseology, and and there'll be a different lexicon for it. But for now, we're sticking with it. Uh, So bear with us, please, and thank you. And now on to the regular episode. So, did you guys know that halflings 
don't have a home. Correct. They don't have a specific identity. Like, they don't have little halfling communities in and of themselves. Or if they do, they're very rare. Mm -hmm. They don't have huge writing and literature histories and libraries and whatnot. Correct. Honestly, halflings are, are the forgotten one out, out of the PHB. Do you guys feel that well, way too? They're like the they don't even, sibling. They don't even have an origin. Like their orange origin is a, basically a mystery. It was they were spoken into being, and that's that's their origin. Yeah, and that's not even in fifth ed. Yeah, right. So that's that's from previous editions. Correct. So I want to go through really quickly what it means to be a halfling. First and foremost, there was a homeland way way back in the day, and it was called uh, Luarin, and it was destroyed. You can find this info in the Sword Coast Adventures Guide. So it was destroyed, but here's what it says. It's thought to be the place where their race had its genesis, and Luren was lost during the spell plague to a great inundation of the sea. In the century since the great disaster, the waters receded, and now stories told by travelers from the south tell of halfling communities that survived as island redoubts. Which means the spell plague hit. Are you guys familiar with the spell plague? Very minimally. I know it exists, and I know basic the basics of it, but I've never read de- deep into it. For those at home, why don't you describe a little bit about <laughs> yeah, okay, Adam? Sure. So the spell plague, we're, I'm not going to get into it because it's a long, deep history of the Forgotten Realms, but here's essentially what happened. The goddess of magic, Mistra, died for, I think, the second of three times, or maybe it was the third one, I can't remember. But she died and took the weave with her. When that happened, there was a giant upheaval in all things magic, and there was a giant blue firestorm that swept the Forgotten Realms. As a part of this, Luren sank beneath the ocean. Yeah. Now, Mistra is back. The Weave is back. Uh, it also The Spell Plague also destroyed the Great World Tree as well yes. and gave us the Great Wheel cosmology that we have now for the planes and brought the Feywild closer to the Primaterial Plane, which we're used to playing with now. And So there was a whole bunch of, of shifting. This happened between, I believe it was 3.5 and 4th edition. So this is why, this is how they explained the big difference between editions, was there was a spell plague that hit. Right. But it's since been undone. And so that's why we say that there are some rumors of these distant halfling uh, communities out there. We don't really get a whole lot of halfling communities because halflings are known for being able to work their way into any existing community. Mm-hmm. And they're perfectly happy to do so. And other people are happy to have them. They like to look on the bright side of things and they like to uh, interact with people as long as they keep, I mean, I wonder how many short jokes we're going to make. They like to keep like a low profile. <laughs> so, they really like to fit in. Yeah. They, <laughs> So um, let, let me go through it really quickly. Uh, I'm going to read out a skag first because one thing that you guys may not know is that halflings don't call themselves halflings. And the only other time that I think that we see this um, with the main races are uh, with half-elves in Eberron. Because mm-hmm. they don't call themselves half-elves and they are not elf plus human. They are their own race of pseudo-elves. And they call themselves the Korovar from there. So here... Halflings are called the Hin, H-I-N. Their language is not a secret or forgotten language. It does exist. And they've got this really long history, this oral tradition of passing things down from one generation to another. But they do not like sharing their, their language with other people. So while halfling is definitely a language that you can learn as a dwarf or an elf, as a dungeon master, I'm sitting there wondering... 
why? You need to have a damn good reason in your backstory to come up with why you know how. You need to have some sort of halfling that trusted you enough to yeah, teach a language to you. And he won't have learned it from a written language. No, and it's it's going to be more accessible than Thieves Cant or Druidic, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely more more accessible than Dark Speech. But you've got to have a good reason. The same way that if you if you speak some of the weird monster yes. languages, you, you have to know why, yeah. right? So. Yeah. Halflings have a reputation for being kind of light on their feet and super plucky. Yes. They are happy as a general rule. They want to stay happy and they like to keep things very simple. They absolutely love to stay in their homestead. They want a warm hearth. They want the comforts of home. But it also talks in the player's handbook about how there's a second kind of almost nomadic I kind of want to get into this. So there are really two kinds and I think it comes from the fact that they're displaced. It doesn't yeah. say that directly in either book, but it's strongly hinted at that there's the what they call the lightfoot halflings and then the strong heart halflings, which are known as stout halflings yes. in the player's handbook. So um, let's get into it, and then I want to talk about the interpretations a little bit. Perfect. They exhibit uh, natural dexterity that surprises a lot of people, and they're known for being surprisingly lucky and surviving things that they probably shouldn't have just by kind of dancing out of the way. They're small targets and they're fleet of foot, mm-hmm. right? There are all sorts of tales and legends about just halfling luck in general. And we see that reflected in potentially the most broken mechanic for one of the races. And we'll talk about that later as well. <laughs> um, beyond the typical elements of the halfling character, though, halflings can be divided into two major sub-races. They are very distinct from each other, but it seems to be a primal drive that, that separates them. Something deep from within. Now... What's interesting is that the spell plague happened, and then it got undone, and this all happened in the last hundred years. Halflings can live up to 150. So they, they hit maturity at the age of 20, they can be 150 years old. So they, they will remember the spell plague. They will remember their home disappearing, and yet they're known for being plucky and being a part of communities and stuff. And it feels really strange that they are the happiest refugees in the world. Mm-hmm. But there are two reasons, there are two mentalities about it. The first one is the fact that they are all about home. Yes. And if they have a happy little place that they can call their own home, and you think about Hobbiton, think about the Shire, yeah, right? Absolutely. When you think about the uh, Bag End and the way that Bilbo was in his little, little hovel, that's exactly how I feel halflings are, except even less extravagant. Yes. They like simplistic clothes, simplistic items. They don't flash their wealth. They like bright colors, Mm -hmm. but they're practical clothes, right? Um, They like gardening. They like eating. They like stories. They They like like the fine things in life. It's not even the fine things. Sorry, fine's not the... the, They like the good things in life. The simple things in life. Yeah, it's about simplicity. They really enjoy keeping it simple. We've talked about how they were a little bit like hobbits. Right, yes. and that was kind of where, where we're coming from. But there's the other kind as well, and that is the uh, more nomadic. And this is this is where we start to get a little bit dicey when it comes to uh, what what's offensive. I'm going to go ahead and say it, and I apologize to everyone listening, but they seem to be almost gypsy inspired. Now, I the proper term is Romani, but not a lot of people follow that. These Romani inspired uh, nomads almost think of the Vistani from Curse of Strahd. Yeah. Right, and that is really how the Lightfoot 
halflings feel. The other one is called the Strongheart Halflings, and they are these bag end hobbiton move in and live here and, and stay where <laughs> We don't are. go on adventures. Yeah. No, they don't want to go on adventures. Their idea of an adventure is going down to the market and buying a different kind of gourd. Mm. What a great day. <laughs> yeah. Sounds nice. Um, <laughs> the Lightfoot Halflings are the ones that are nomadic, that wander around, that um, are looking for the next adventure. They are fleet of foot. They are... Well, all... Huh. All halflings are fleet of foot. Yes. They have a reputation for being not just plucky and, and personable and able to live in other people's communities without a real issue, but they also have this reputation for being lucky. And we see that reflected in the mechanics, which is infuriating. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> um, but the Lightfoot halflings specifically are the ones that are going to be out there getting into shit. Play, I think it was the player's handbook that covered it really well with the Lightfoot halflings and the fact that they they do still have a like they're very strongly bonded to home. It's just that their home is on the move. The home is the people that they're with and the basically who they're traveling with and their companions. So it's still their home. It's still important to them. The but it's not a physical place so much as it is. Yeah, an emotional emotional place. setting. So. They have really gone out of their way to, with most of the races, tell you why they are adventuring mm -hmm. and then give you another option of why they may not be adventuring as well, right? Like why it would be rare for this kind of sub-race to be an adventurer. Mm -hmm. So let's go through what Skag has before we move on to the player's handbook, which is where we're going to get the majority of our meat. For Lightfoot Halflings, neither the journey nor the destination matters more. The important thing is to keep moving. The life of a Lightfoot is one long exploration with each new horizon, new town, or new face a chance to find something delightful. They typically travel in small bands, <coughs> adventurous groups, using whatever conveyance is convenient, but just as easily striking out on foot. Bands consist of loosely related individuals, <coughs> adventuring groups, and when bands meet, membership frequently shifts. Lightfoot halflings typically excel at tasks related to travel, be it navigation, handling pack animals, foraging, sailing, and cartwright work. Having tried their hand at all such things before or learned from other Lightfoots met during their journeys. The idea of halflings leading oxen is hilarious to me because these guys are three feet tall and weigh 40 pounds. I love it. Yeah, I think it'd be quite the sight. I, I think it's amazing, but it it's unique. It is very different. Yeah. It's a good handle animal check. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Lightfoot halflings are highly social, often as curious about other people as they are about what might lie around the next bend. They characteristically possess an easygoing and open attitude, curious about others and willing to share themselves, which enables them to make friends easily. They get stereotyped as flighty, easily distracted, fickle, and unreliable, but their friendships and courtships, if brief, tend to be genuine. If you want a stable backstory and lifestyle for a character lightfoot halfling is not the one you're going for mm -hmm. and it, it says as much in the sword coast adventures guide mm -hmm. strongheart halflings however are creatures of the earth who love a warm hearth and pleasant company they're folks of few enemies and many friends they're sometimes referred to fondly by members of other races as the good folk to many of them the greatest fear is to live in a world of poor company and mean intent where one lacks freedom and the comfort of friendship. They're really, really, really simple. And I don't mean simplistically minded. They just want a simple life. I think Mennonite, almost, like the so, Amish lifestyle. So you wanted to know why I liked halflings? This is why. This yeah. is my ideal. 
Uh, it says, push from their nests, strong, hard halflings typically try to have as many comforts of home with them as possible. Non-strong hearts with the more practical bend can find strong heart travel habits maddening, but their lightfoot cousins typically enjoy the novelty of it, so long as their lightfoots don't have to carry any of the baggage. So the idea is that strong hearts take their luggage with them. They're, yeah. the, they're like fucking Mieka, just taking like nine fucking <laughs> suitcases. <laughs> this is my baggage just for shoes, and I'm like, what the... Fuck. <laughs> I'm going to jump over to the player's handbook for just a moment and get into the idea that these guys are small and they're practical. That's the name of the first mm-hmm. section about them. And the idea is that they are, like I said before, three feet tall, 40 to 45 pounds. They wear practical clothing. They use practical tools and they do practical things with them. It's not about extravagance or showing off. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that there are many a halfling bard and some of us even play Rainbow Bright halflings. Yes! <laughs> they really, <laughs> traditionally, are not about showing off. And they would stand out even in a halfling community. They do like bright, flashy clothes. So mm-hmm. that lines up for Megan. But there's a lot that... I'm wearing all black. We're not black. talking about her bar. I was like, I'm wearing all black today. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, but there's a lot that they leave behind. They're not looking at dazzling and, and having big spectacles and whatnot. And if they do, it would be a unique scenario, right? Like someone 111th birthday. Mm. If you are playing a halfling, you need to keep in mind that most of them, the majority of them are both kind and curious. And the curiosity is a major factor, especially for the lightfoot who are out there with their wanderlust moving around. Um, but no matter what, they tend to be kind. They're trying to look on the brighter side of things. And it gets right into it in a little table about how they're affable and positive. Yes. This is one of the few times that you are actually going to get them telling you exactly how to interact with other people in the player's handbook. I right? love that they include this little bit. Yeah, I wish that they did this more often, but I do like the customizability for um, mm-hmm. for the races. Is it is it annoying? I would say it does. Uh, it doesn't mean that you have to play your halfling like that. You could give them a backstory that creates a, a different demeanor. Yeah, of course. But I feel but like if you're just building a character and you want to have something lighthearted and fun, I love that they added that in there. I, I would take it more as a cultural. Where does the culture stand yeah. on these yeah. other other interactions with other? What are we using? Races? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We're we're gonna stick with that just because that's. Yeah. That's the term of the books. But in terms of the fact that playing against somebody like this could be annoying, um, yes, it can be. Playing with somebody at a table that takes it too far. Same thing as your paladin being lawful stupid. Like, it just, yeah. it has that same mentality. It's just a matter of controlling your table. Um, it does say that they blend into the crowd, mm-hmm. right? So there's not- enough of them around. That means they're, they're obviously not an exotic race. Yeah, but but they're big into fitting in as Correct. well. They're not yes. they're not rocking the boat on anything, which means that as much as they are happy and plucky, they're not like Megan says. They're, they're not a super fucking annoying. Yeah. You can play an annoying character if you would like, but okay. but they're not default annoying. As a matter of fact, they got rid of the short race that is annoying in fifth edition. We don't have Kender. Kender, yeah. yes, and Kender. For those of you listening who don't know. Uh, were essentially halflings that were kleptomaniacs. They just wanted to steal. They did not understand the idea of property or wealth. If they saw something they liked, they picked it up and they put it in their pocket. It's a cool idea for an NPC, terrible idea for a PC. It gave, it's going to infuriate it, your party. Yeah, it gave players the abilities to just fuck over their party. Yeah. That's not fun for anybody except for the person doing the... Yeah, get out. <laughs> so they don't have royalty. They don't really have nobility. Halflings have family elders that they go to for guidance. 
They may live in a place where there is a noble that rules over them, and they will acknowledge that, but they don't have nobility themselves. They don't see the purpose in it. As a matter of fact, when they have money, they're just going to lock it up in a cellar or a dungeon, and they're not going to flaunt it. You're not going to see items made of gold in their living room unless they came upon this yeah. legitimately and this is just an heirloom and it serves a purpose and yeah. right they, now do you think they lock it up or do you think they share it amongst their community i think they lock it up i think they absolutely do they're not incredibly how do i want to put this socialist yeah right that's not the what they're trying to say here what they're talking about is the uh, idea that wealth doesn't need to be flaunted they mm. still want it they'll still spend it when it comes up it's time to to pay for a festival we know who the rich families are and they'll be expected to pitch in. Yes. Right? But they are not going to be flaunting their shit and riding on top of a camel or an elephant Prince Ali style through Agrabah, right? Like, that, that is not what you're dealing with with halflings. That would be much more impressive, though, with a halfling. <laughs> I also just feel like I imagine these, like, halflings are the ones that when you go into, like, a courtier type of situation, they're the ones that will forget to bow because they don't understand why everybody else is bowing. But also no one will notice because it's not like they're sticking up. Yeah, right. Yeah. Just, like, everybody else just gets down to their height for a second. They're like, oh. Oh, right. All right. That. Cool. <laughs> So while they do travel in small communities and they do work their way into other communities, they don't have their own royalty or nobility. They do have their own gods. Mm -hmm. And so I want to talk about the pantheon of uh, halfling gods for just a second because it gives us a couple of unique opportunities. First and foremost is the Hin mother goddess and the head of the pantheon, Yolanda, the blessed one. She's the goddess of bounty and fertility, protector of hearth, home, and family. And that right there is pretty much what you need to know about the priorities of the halfling race, the generality, right? About how halflings feel. Your character may be different, but theirs tend to sway in this direction. Then there's her sister, Sheila Pereroyal, who is the green sister of Yolanda, and she's a nature goddess. The lady of fields, streams, and the wilds found in Shire and Glen. She's the goddess of the weather in these places as well, and also of love, song, and dance. There are only four more in their entire pantheon. There's, I'm not going to be able to pronounce this properly. Give it a shot. Cyrolili, uh, who is the goddess of the hearth and hospitality, as well as trust and handicrafts. Hmm. There is Brandobaris, who is a trickster god of thievery and stealth, and the patron of many halfling adventurers. There's Urugalan, who is the silent, melancholy god of the earth and death. Uh, he's, That's the interesting one to me that stands yeah. out a little bit differently. But when we talk about... Yeah, well, we, we can get into that definitely later. He is actually incredibly sad by the duties that he has to have. Although he does get a great dark hound. And the two of them are vigilant in ensuring that the dead are respected and protected. Mm -hmm. And the last one is Arvarine who is a defender god, a watchful protector who sacrifices personal comfort for the safety of others. And I yeah. think that this is one of the call to action uh, gods that you're going to find in the halfling pantheon there. Many halflings have also taken to regularly worship uh, Timora, who is another one of the gods, seeing that she is a helping hand in their fortunes and a patron of luckiness associated with the Hind. So she's a goddess luck, and mm -hmm. they call her Lady Luck. Lady Luck, I love that. Mm. Other than that, there are no other gods. There's no other real leadership besides the family elders or the community leaders of maybe the, the nomadic tribe or, or whoever it is in their community that 
the sheriff or mayor that don't have to be halflings for them to follow them. It's not like dwarves and elves who are weirdly xenophobic about some things. Yeah. They mm-hmm. want to be run by others of their kind. Halflings don't care. No. They are willing to work together as a group. Now, do you guys have any thoughts about any of this before we get into the different mechanics and, and inspirational uses of, of halflings? Uh, well, just because when I was reading kind of the simpleness and the simple life and of the halflings and thinking about their pantheons, the way I read and kind of understand halflings, it makes me feel like even if they do have a god that they worship, it, it would almost be like they're, it's just a family member they're talking to. Right? It's not like they're going to go to a church and bow down and no, that kind of stuff. Like as it's a matter of fact, community, right? Yeah, and as a matter of fact, the shrines are within their own houses yeah. or in like a, a forested glen or on literally on the side of a road. It's yeah. accessible for people and they're not ostentatious. They're, they're only doing build, building big temples. They're not having massive clergymen or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. No, just, that's not what they're about. So Yeah, yeah. I, I can't really see. We'll get into some strange builds later, but I can't really see a halfling cleric. I mean, you can make anything you want. Well... I want to talk about the different classes that, that you may want to apply later. Yeah. But let's jump to a commercial really quickly, and then we'll talk about some of the mechanics. Hey, guys. It's Adam, and I just wanted to give a very special thank you to Yoen's Doodles. That is spelled E-E-Y-O-W-E-N-S, and then Doodles, all one word on Instagram. Uh, she does a whole bunch of character art, and she does both uh, traditional and digital stuff. You can check out our Instagram page to see a picture that she drew for us, a portrait of one of my favorite homebrew characters I made, which is Camion the Imp, which has tormented people across three campaigns. The players that I've got uh, are all thoroughly frustrated and hate him, but he's cute. He's got a little pot belly, and he's always up to a little bit of shit. And frankly, if they had seen this drawing ahead of time, uh, before I described him, they would be far more sympathetic to his needs and his schemes. But as it is, they all seem to just absolutely hate him. But I absolutely love the cute style that she's got going for all of these. And her art is is really fun. So she is Lauren, and she is consistently pumping out D&D art and character art for people. She takes commissions. And I just wanted to give her a happy little shout out. Thank you so much for the artwork. It has been so much fun. And we are framing it and putting it up in our little studio down here. And you guys should check her out at Yoen's Doodles. Again, that is E-E-Y-O-W-E-N-S doodles it doesn't sound at all it's spelt like but it is fantastic work yoen's doodles is definitely one of the artists on there that i personally love the style of and it's it's whimsical and it's fun and it's cute and everyone should check it out and and hit her up to get some commissions so thanks very much lauren at yoen's doodles and we look forward to framing this and getting it up on our wall here now back to the episode all right so when it comes to halflings, there are the base stats that all halflings will get, and then there are the ones that these sub-races are, will, will get as well. All right, so let's go through the base ones first. Mm-hmm. Um, all halflings get a dexterity score increase of two, which fits with that. Light uh, on their feet. Yeah, that idea that they are consistently lucky. I like the mm-hmm. idea. When you apply this to dex saves, that makes a lot of sense. A lot right? of sense, absolutely. Well, they reach maturity at 20 years old, and they will live about a century and a half. That is kind of your age range for adventurers. Mm-hmm. Everybody always picks like 21, right? Hey, 22 that, is my go-to. Is, is that your go-to? Yeah. I actually like to play a little bit older, more experienced. Dan often likes to play elderly. He likes well. to go elderly. I don't like to go that far. but uh, I like young and naive. <laughs> I like the idea of a, of a halfling that remembers the spell plague mm. and the second sundering and these giant world events where the homeland was lost. And what do you do with that from there? 
Whereas a hundred years is nothing to dwarves and elves who will also yeah. remember this. They they will see that as a a blip in their middle age. Like yeah, well, oh yeah, that happened at one point. Yeah. Whereas this is crippling for for the halflings. Yeah. Most halflings are lawful good, which surprised which, me. The lawful part, good makes sense to me. I really expected to see the more neutral ne- to chaotic. Yeah, in that range, just because they're. They're out there being plucky and happy and, and working with people to mm-hmm. to get things done. And they're out for the good of the community. But I guess they're not there to make waves, right? That's a big deal. Yeah, I guess so. I think it's because when we think lawful, we assume some kind of a code. and Whereas, like, it doesn't necessarily mean it has to be a set of rules that they follow diligently day in and day out. It's just more of a sense of, I'm really not out here to hurt anyone, right? It looks to me like... The average halfling is Samwise, not Marion Pippin. Yes. Yeah. That. And while Marion Pippin will get a lot of the attention for the wacky adventures, you think of the brownies from Willow as well. And yeah. Like, there are other kind of like halfling uh, parables. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you start to look at these, you think chaotic, but that's not the way it is. It's everyone else that was at Bilbo's birthday party that just kind of like harumphed their way through it. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> As a rule, they're good-hearted and kind. They hate to see others in pain. They have no tolerance for oppression. It says that, that in sense. a few places between the two books. They do not want oppression. They, they won't stand for it. That's one of the things that is going to make them take up arms. Because they believe in free will and everyone is equal and, and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. Yeah. They're also very orderly and traditional, leaning heavily on the support of their community and the comfort of their old ways. And when it's worded that way, that's where I think the lawful starts to... You yeah. start to see the lawful. Do you guys think that's because they don't have a homeland and they're preserving? And that's why they, they don't share their language either, right? It's difficult to learn. There is a halfling language. It's not secretive. It's more accessible than dark speech or um, thieves can't or druidic. But they don't like to share it with people, right? Yeah, I think they really respect their heritage and their tradition, and they kind of want to keep that to themselves because they share everything else. Yeah, right. They they're used to living in all their cultures. It's I think it's the same with anybody who, especially refugees who move to a new culture and have to adapt to the new culture. I think there's certain bits of their own home culture that they want to hold on to, which and makes pass down. It makes perfect sense. This it is does. why we get in in the real world. This is why we get little sections of major cities like Chinatown and Little Italy and yes. like places like this where there are familiar cultural touchstones for people that are moving in, that mm-hmm. are new to this new area, to find comfort in, right? Yeah. I feel like you're going to find little little halfling, little hint. See, I was wondering right? if you were going to see that because I can see that with dwarven culture and elven cultures within a metropolis that they would have their own subcommunities. I wonder if you would have that within... I don't think Your so. halfling. I don't see it the same way with the halflings. I see them more blending in throughout. I agree with that to a point because when you think about the physical disability comparatively to others, right, where they cannot see on top of the table. Mm-hmm. You know how tall bank counters are? Yeah. Right? And then you put someone who's Get, three. You need a step stool. Right? <laughs> or three in a trench coat. And while you may have a bunch of that around... I do think there would be some sections of Waterdeep or Baldur's Gate, the big metropolises, that would be catered to halflings just for just for ease more than anything Even else. that awkward, like, six-inch difference between them and dwarves. Yeah. Right? Even walking into a dwarven district, they'd probably still be that little bit under the counter. I'm just imagining them being that tiny house in between two giant tall towers just in the <laughs> middle of the city. 
And then if you go into a tavern, there's like one tiny table in the corner that is meant because they know that there's halflings in the area. Yeah, I like it. Or the, or the yeah. fact that there's normal sized bar stools, but they have ladders up the back up to get yeah. up to them, right? Yes, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, would you like a phone book? Which <laughs> <laughs> a coloring book. Yeah. <laughs> so halflings average about three feet tall and weigh about 40 pounds. Their size is small. I've got a question, guys. Can I hold a halfling baby in the palm of my hand like a kitten? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. That is freaking adorable. It is. And I now want like adventures to rescue the the halfling orphanage and Oh my goodness. Yeah, and, and they like carry them they carry them around in so terrified of like breaking them. I'm gonna flip it to him and be like, you have to go rescue this coffin from the halfling community. And they get the coffin and inside are like twenty five halfling infants. Ugh. Right, that are just hidden in the coffin from the orcs just or whatever, dark. right? Yeah, I got dark. Oh, they're alive. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. Oh, okay. They're, yes. I thought you went your usual Adam Dark route. <laughs> I don't kill babies. That's a Dan thing. Dan kills Dan babies kills and dogs. Babies. <laughs> Dan hates dogs, though. <laughs> your base walking speed is 25 feet. It makes yeah. sense to me, okay? It, it makes sense. It's annoying when you're playing it. It's annoying as a DM design encounters around it. So but it makes sense. I feel like the best like visual I have when it comes to the fact that these guys can only travel 25 feet is when I play an MMO and I'm playing like a dwarven character and they're walking beside the other character who's seven feet tall. And to be able to make the animation make sense that they can walk at the same speed, the small character is literally <laughs> trudging it. forward yeah. or hoofing it, right? Yeah. So it's like, obviously they're going to go a little bit slower just because their step speed is so much smaller. It's like walking through the mall with my mom. Um, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> or I've, I've worked with Dan, whose stride is like nine feet between Those paces. people weird me out. Yeah, and I'm just, I take three times as many steps as Dan to cover the same distance. And he looks at me and he's like, oh, shall we, shall we walk up these stairs? He's taking four, four at a time. time. Yeah. I'm like, what are you You're doing? You're doing a light jog behind him. Like, oh, fuck, I'm going to the shit. elevator. Shit. Yeah. I'm not I don't feel it. short or slow until I'm walking with Dan. Oh. Yeah. So... Well, I'm going to skip Lucky for a minute. Brave, you have advantage on saving throws against being frightened. I like that. That's the Hobbit, right? It like, is. That's, that's, that's where that's from. I also just feel like they're built to be adventurers and they're curious, which means they would have to be They've brave. They've seen a lot before. They've seen a lot. They've been through a lot. They want to see more. I feel like you have to be and have a brave mentality to be able to do those things. Yeah, that's, and I, it's and definitely think, your Samwise Gamgee. Yeah, and I think that the Lucky feat supports that. <laughs> I also think that if you are less than half the height of everything else around you, you have to have a certain amount of bravery just to go out into the world and be a part of these communities. Yeah. You think about what a war horse, a, a single paladin on a war horse through a battalion of halflings. Yeah. That's that's a one-sided fight, right? Yeah. Yeah. But they would still be like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They'd be hamstringing that horse fast. Um, halfling nimbleness. I love this. You can move through the space of any creature that is of a size larger than yours. Yeah, I think makes you, sense. a lot of people forget about the rule that you can't move through a space when they're counting movement. I, okay, so the way that I always rule it is you, you can squeeze through a friendly and ally space, like a or even a threatened space. Yeah, a threatened space. You you can move uh, freely within freely through a threatened space. But you cannot move through an enemy space. Correct. Yeah, Period. through friendlies you can move. Yes, but you correct. have to squeeze through. And squeezing mm, takes yeah. half of your movement. I don't uh, think a lot of tables play that, though, even. You roll everything with disadvantage while you share a space. Mm -hmm. That's rules as written. Yes. Yeah. So halflings don't put up with that shit, right? Yeah. Even dwarves, they can move through their space. Yes. Because dwarves are technically medium creatures. 
So you, you like the halfling nimbleness, right? I really do. It's weird to me that gnomes don't get this. Yeah. Or goblins even. Hmm. Not as graceful? I guess that's what it is. They they say over and over about how fleet of foot and yes. light footed. One of them's called light foot, right? Yeah, like, I feel like they're, my movement to them, in my mind, imagine it more like dense-esque. Like they're a little bit more graceful than a goblin who's flopping their arms around, right? I feel like they've got springs in their knees a go. little bit as well, right? Like Tap shoes. Yeah. <laughs> Tippy taps. <laughs> Making character notes. Yeah. <laughs> For languages, you can speak, read, and write common and halfling. And they say, you know, they write very little, so they don't have a rich body of literature. Their oral tradition, however, is very strong. I really like the idea of this, and I wonder how that is going to apply to halfling wizards. Interesting. Picture books. <laughs> Picture books? Oh, my God. Sorry. So I also, in my mind, I was imagining a wizard. Like, you mentioned Willow earlier. Yeah. And, like, Willow is a wizard, basically. Yeah. I'm now imagining him with this book. And instead of writing things down, just drawing pictures of his spells and no one else can see what they are. (laughs) (laughs) I have a real strong tendency, because they're so short, to just equate them with children. So in my head, they're writing these in crayon. Yes. (laughs) But you can't make out what this is supposed to be. Like, you ever have, like, a three-year-old that holds up the the book or the page? You're like, this is is mommy and this is daddy. You're like, okay, that one has six arms. Yeah. Yeah. What the fuck is going on here? What is this blob over here? Oh, that's you. Mm, Thank you. Thank you. What a compliment. Yes. So I like that there's no rich body of literature. However, I would absolutely put a halfling library in Luren if you were ever to go there. Yes. To find out what's actually there, like the ancient knowledges that have been lost. I think you can make a really interesting plot hook with a book written in Halfling. Yeah, I, I think so. And then have to find a Halfling to... To decipher it. Yeah. Yeah. And whether or not they will. Yeah. And I think it's probably safe to assume that not every Halfling can even read Halfling. Um, Do you I, think that's... No, they're so strongly linked to their community and family that I'm sure that they pass down... All of this information from one to another. Mm. But if you're going to be raised in... I mean, everybody everybody is raised in an orphanage, right? So yeah. um, when you're raised in an orphanage that's not a halfling orphanage, you may not pick up that ability. Mm-hmm. So it depends on, on your background, I guess. Every halfling, or almost every halfling, speaks common. Because they want to be able to converse and talk with the people around them. And be a part of the community that they're in. I think it makes sense myself. I don't like how languages are done in 5th ed. If you had a halfling in an elvish community, would you just give them elven? Yes. Yes. 100%. I feel like it just it's written in them that they want to blend. So yeah. why would they not take the time to learn the language? Yeah. And I think that that should be strongly implied or, or mentioned in the book. But yeah. As a DM, I would have ruled it that way regardless. So I guess my point is talk to your DM if you want more languages. Yeah. If it makes sense with your backstory. Yeah. So there are two main kinds of halflings, lightfoot and stout. Um, and... Unlike the other racial sub, like the subrace backgrounds, these ones are really just two different kinds of families, as opposed to different different subraces. The difference between a mountain dwarf and a hill dwarf is very clear. Yes. High elf to wood elf is very, very clear. different. The different kinds of humans even were very very Specific. apparent. Yeah, that's not the case with halflings. They mm. are just almost distant cousins. Um, so we're going to go through these two as well as the Ghostwise Halfling option that is in uh, Sword Coast Adventures Guide. Let's grab our dice and roll for initiative. Before we do... Oh, here comes Megan. Uh-oh. Would you like to cover Lucky? 
I was really going to leave it out and talk about it at the very end. Okay. But no, let's let's go over it now. We might as well. We don't have to. No. Can, this is your episode, man. You do you. I just, I just didn't want you to miss nothing. <laughs> no, we'll get into it because everybody buckle up. <laughs> Every halfling gets this. When you roll a one on the d20 for an attack roll, ability check, or saving throw, and that includes death saves. Yes. You can re-roll the die and you must use the new roll. Mm-hmm. Which means you cannot critically fail. Yeah. Yes, you can. How do you feel about that? You well, can roll another one. So you have a one in four hundred chance as opposed to everyone else. That is ridiculous. I've done it. <laughs> I, I'm sure everyone has a story of that one time that they've done it. Yeah. But how do you guys feel about this? I I think it blends with the type of character that it is very well. Because the fact that these guys are supposed to be super brave, they're the tiny little people that are wandering around, pulling levers, doing dumb stuff because they're curious. It's almost like they have to have this unnatural trait to be slightly lucky just to survive. Yeah, I find it super flavorful. I can understand from a game balance perspective how it throws things out of whack, but I actually love it. I have never seen anyone, including myself, at any one of my tables play a halfling without specifically hunting this trait down to min-max. I 100% did that in well, a one-shot. You, have, you haven't done that at one of my tables. Not at one of your right? tables, no. I, I, all right, look, I'm, I'm going to talk about min-max for half a second here. There's nothing wrong with, min, with min-max. No, people like to play that way. Let yeah, play. if you want to be a power gamer, that's fine. Just make sure everyone else at your table is on board with you doing that. They don't need to do it as well, as long as they know that we've got this one superhero in our midst. The problem is when people start to become munchkins. Which is a type of yes. min-maxing. And a munchkin is someone who is so fucking good at everything that they are impossible to defeat at anything. See some of Dan's characters. He builds them to be mechanically perfect. And that's fine. That's a puzzle. It's a great thing it's to do. It's the way you like theory. to play the game. If yeah. that's what you want to do, it, that's great. But putting a munchkin in a group of role players fucks the world up. This ability here by the time you start to put some of these you bounce back up when you hit zero hit points and shit on top of it where it's so hard to kill players in the first place and now you're going to give them death ward and contingency and you're never going to be able to get rid of this halfling this halfling is immortal now right and and they're not going to miss you think about this this is for ability checks and this is for saving throws i don't care about the attacks reroll on one's fine yeah those two, that hurts. Mm-hmm. From a DM perspective, that bugs the shit out of me. I like it for the halfling itself. Yeah. When I, when it's removed, when it's in its own little bubble, makes perfect sense. I agree with you guys. It's great. It's flavorful. It's fun. Adorable. Yeah. When you stack it up against half-orcs and humans and and gnomes and aracocra and everybody's got their strengths and you can argue about how broken some of them may be or not maybe, this is the most infuriating thing I've seen. Now... Would you maybe consider reflavoring this instead of re-rolling when you roll a one? You just automatically, you can't roll just the one. You get a bonus on ones of plus five or something. No, because I like I say, the people that have picked a halfling have picked it because of this trait. Right. But I'm thinking the power of it is the fact that you can go from rolling a one to rolling a 20, right? What if rather than just being unable to completely critically fail, but that's you're not, not necessarily going to succeed... 
But that's what makes it lucky, is that you can go from being a complete total failure to someone, like, to be, like, this amazing thing. Like, that's the flavor. The other thing, too, is that you can go from rolling a one to a three. Yes. Right? Which is why if you have a, just a bonus die or a bonus whatever, Mm -hmm. you're going to lose that ability. If, If you're adding to it, then you will never, ever, ever roll a one. Right. Because you'll always be adding to that that Correct. single. So yeah. what I do whenever I see halfling, and some people hate this, but this is my ruling. Whenever I see a halfling at the table, I pull up my crit tables and I say, here are crit tables. If you roll a one, you can re-roll it and take that. But you still take the negative from the crit failure. Don't tell that to Dan because I'm playing a halfling in his game. Oh, Dan knows <laughs> that fully well. <laughs> so, so if you roll a one... You can still succeed at the thing, but then you... There's still going to be some sort of penalty? Yeah, it's the idea that you have your bow and arrow and you shoot and you're aiming for that guy way down the battlefield. You still trip and fall, but your arrow still hits. Yeah. Right. Okay, so... And my crit tables are not deadly. They're not super deadly until the players start to fight each other and then start getting criticals. And then Megan loses Lynn. I was going to say, didn't my leg get shot off because of one of your crit tables? Yeah. But but that wasn't me. That was Dan. I also did slaughter a bunch of children. So In a church. I did. Yeah. So As a paladin. As <laughs> <laughs> a lawful oh, good paladin. Yeah. Sounds about right. Best that day, sounds like yeah. an Adam game. Yeah. Uh, there was uh, possession involved, which is what we're not saying here. But Dan needed to take out the threat. And so he shot Megan. And rolled a crit and pulled out the crit table and then took Megan out of the knee with a crossbow bolt. Excellent. Lobbed off a limb. (laughs) Good times. Not the first time that that has happened in one of my games that we've lost a limb. So, but anyway, the idea as well would be that you would be rolling on the crit fail table, even though you, you. Yeah, you rolled your one, take the consequence. Yeah. 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 I was where you were going to make this into a uh, long or short rest ability. No, look, again. I, I believe in rewarding the players for making the choices that they make during character creation. There is a reason you chose to be a dragonborn. I'm not going to say you can't use your breath weapon. Yeah. There's a reason that you wanted to be able to fly or breathe underwater or whatever it is. So I'm not going to build a campaign where you never get to do that. I look at it like this. When you choose to be a ranger and you have your favorite terrain mm-hmm. and you're, you're a natural explorer and you're your favorite enemy and all that shit and you build it up this way, there's an expectation that you will be using these things yes. if you get them at first level and they're a part of your character. Yeah. If you never get to use them, then you're at a great disservice. And your right. DM is a dick. Yeah. If, if I've got one player in the party who doesn't have dark vision, then darkness becomes a major issue because everybody else chose it and they need to be rewarded for it. Yes. Otherwise, what's the point of getting it? And my, my problem in general with the, the ASMR versus the Divine Soul Sorcerer, right? You, you have celestial blood in you both ways, Yes. right? Because the Divine Soul Sorcerer exists, the ASMR is less special now. Mm-hmm. I want the characters around the table to be special. And I'm fine with them both existing until there's one of each at the same table. Right. Right. And now they're stepping on each other's toes. And I run into a lot of this problem with uh, the mastermind and the inquisitive rogues because they're just good at fucking everything. Right. A lot of bards are just good at everything. Jack of all trades. Yeah. And when you do that, you are going to step on the toes of other people. Yeah. It's different than the paladin just buffing you with an aura. Yeah. He's helping the other like. Sure, yeah, and I'm I'm all for that. The paladin should be helping others, but they're not they're not doing things better than you are, right? Yeah. Yeah. When the wizard is able to hold that beam up above their head so everyone can sneak underneath it, and the barbarian can't, 
it feels lopsided. Yeah. If it's a one-off, cool, something special happened. You, you know, that's the rolls. Yeah. But when it's every true. single time, it's too much. And that's kind of my problem with with Lucky is it gives you the opportunity to be a superhero way more often than everyone else. Hmm. When you start playing with inspiration dice and uh, guidance and other things as well, you Those are... Those numbers can get yeah crazy. Yeah, there's a lot of dice manipulation re-roll this and on a one re-roll that and mm-hmm. there's a lot of that in fifth ed i don't like that it comes just baked stock. into the class yeah well baked into a base the race, race rather that you would get at, at first level yeah. yeah so it just seems a bit much to me sure. um especially when you're gonna get like a plus 13 to rolls later on mm-hmm. in the campaign you don't need this i can roll a one and still hit later on in the game yeah right? yeah you're halfling bards and your halfling rogues you're just gonna get some crazy numbers. Yeah. So that's my rant, which I was going to say at the end. But but we got it early. Let's grab our dice and let's roll to see who's going to talk about their sub-race first. I got a... Ooh, I was at a four. I got bumped to a 14. I got a 12. Seven. Uh, you're cocked, yeah. Megan. Do you want to re-roll it? Yeah, I do. If you roll a one, you can re-roll it. 20. That 20. There we go. <laughs> All right, Megan, you're up first. Which one do you have? Uh, I have Lightfoot. Yay. Okay. Gordon. Yeah. No, not... Ah, Goddamn. What? What Gordon Lightfoot. Are you oh. in Canadian? <laughs> I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? I don't actually know who that is. He's a Canadian oh, singer. No. Oh, see, I don't know people's popular human beings' names. That's okay. Um, I'm now struggling to come up with one of his one of his hits for so you. Take that. We'll sir. cut this part out of the podcast. How dare you? Um, all right, so we did talk about Lightfoot um, a little bit earlier, kind of in the general sense, but I think we all get the feel that they are the ones that suffer the most from their wanderlust, so they're the ones that travel the world, kind of go around, try and find and implement themselves into a new community. And they do love to blend in uh, and they basically have to fit in wherever they're going. I kind of imagine them as like the kid brother that you hand the controller to that is playing <laughs> Luigi, but not actually playing Luigi. Like, the one that's is, not plugged in. Yeah, exactly. This is kind of how I imagine them in comparison to the other, like more stout version of their yeah. cousin and brethren. But yeah, I love the idea of them that they do like to find community, but just not with their own kind. They like to explore. They like to learn. Um, all those pieces kind of tie in together. And I feel like their ability score supports that. So they do get a plus one to their charisma. I feel like that's needed in my mind. And like when you're thinking about their background, they yeah. need to be able to communicate yeah. with other humans in a positive way so that they can learn and adjust and adapt to wherever they are. Yeah. Right? And then they, of course, are naturally stealthy. So you can basically attempt to hide even when you are obscured only by a creature that is at least one size larger than you so you can basically hide behind your older brother which is like almost it. everything is one size larger exactly than right like you can hide behind a barrel of hay if you feel like it right? yeah so i do love these guys i this is actually really not the one that i usually pick the most out of all of them just because i do like the flavor of them and i do tend to usually pick more characters that are charisma score based builds it, you, you said that you were playing essentially rainbow bright i am the playing Ra- yeah what class so she is a lightfoot bard. That makes sense, though, yeah. with the, the charisma in the yes. deck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so she is basically built as a support character. And that's, What's her name? You gonna give her a shout out? Um, what is it? Sora. Sora? Yeah. God damn it, uh, Megan. In, in the mm-hmm. last campaign, her name was Cora. So like, oh, a, seriously? Yeah. Wait, no, sorry. The the halfling that I built for um, Dan's campaign is Sora. Okay. The one that I built for the other campaign is Kara. You are not oh, breaking the wall. Wow. You really uh, stretched yourself thin. Yeah. yeah so the, we're gonna run out of them soon. I well, no, we're gonna run out of consonants. We're, we're gonna have a uh, Kira will be on that side, and then Dora on the next. Well, that's why I was. Mad well, Dora will be the explorer. When um, Casey took Acra, I was like, "What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> you took my letters." 
Yeah. And you just made a different name. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, we kind of touched on it earlier, but Lightfoot really are, they're the adventuring type. So if you're going to make an adventurer, yeah. and I mean, charisma is such a well-used stat across so many. It's one of my gripes is that charisma is so popular for class creation. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right? That, and I don't know. I don't like how everything is charisma based in 5th edition. It is the, yeah. it is never the dump stat unless you're a barbarian. I, I, I do yeah. like it just for the balance of, I remember playing a game of 3.5 way back when I was younger and I played a game of 4th at one point in my life and a couple of other role playing based games that aren't charisma stat heavy. Yeah. And I struggled. Because they were my first time playing role-playing games. I didn't really understand the concept of role-playing and actually having a conversation with someone to get an end result. So I found that when I played fifth and started playing a little bit more, having a charisma stat that actually worked and did something and helped those that didn't know how to have meaningful conversations on a whim, I felt it helped support that. I love it for the skills factor. Yeah. And yes. For halflings, that makes a lot of sense because they tend to go in that direction. Bards and rogues, generally. Mm-hmm. However, I hate it as a casting Ability. Oh yeah, yeah. Right. Like we've had this conversation. Who's casting off their charisma? Yeah. yeah. Everything cast with charisma. I'm I'm annoyed with it. It's because you have to have a good like whimsy whenever you're casting your spells. <laughs> What's interesting about this is that the halfling traits, the base ones that you get, there's a shit ton of them, and you only really get two new things for each one of the um, sub races. Well, that feeds and, into how similar they are, right? Yeah, We're talking I was about, about the to say, yes. Yeah, when it, when you get to the idea that they're all very closely related, this is how. Yeah. And I, I like that. It's unique and it's different, but is it enough, do you think, flavorfully from one to the next? I think so, because it adds a, a sense of customization to it. Because we kind of talked about how at the very beginning, when you're building a halfling, they are very structured in their ways, their lawful mm-hmm. good. They're these, yeah. So you're kind of structured when you're starting a halfling build. So the fact that they're very broad-ended to say, hey, you either travel or you make a home, but everything else is pretty much up to you, mm-hmm. I think it helps still have that creative aspect behind it, even though you've built a character that's very structured yeah yeah i like it as well just because it you're right it is broad at, at the very end of it you know when you're building a drow you know what you're building yeah, right? yeah like absolutely and it's the same for the majority of the other sub races humans of course don't count dragonborn mm-hmm. as well don't count but for everything else you you know what you're getting into when you pick the sub race this one feels like it, it's just a different it's the seasoning you're, on top of the meal yeah. right you're just picking which stat yeah. you want to look at well, I really like the secondary abilities. Yes. So I rolled for second. You were next, yep. I'm going to hold my action because I want to talk about the differences yeah, between the two. fair enough. Yeah. So let's, I, I've got stout. Uh, so we're going to go into this. Um, so stouts, we discussed earlier, they're kind of called the uh, the strong hearts. And the abilities that they get really play off of that. You think strong heart, they get a constitution bonus. Makes sense. So it goes up by one. It goes up by one. A little and, bit beefier, a little bit meatier. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they spend a lot of time sitting around the house. They're a little uh, stockier. They've done at least three push-ups in their lifetime. That's right. We're good. <laughs> well, I, I feel as well like they're going to be working around the homestead. They've got their yes. vegetable garden. The stout halflings will have raised a barn. The oh, lightfoots are walking from village to village, yeah. right? Yeah. And so it makes sense that they would be... Yeah, no, I think it's very flavorful and very accurate to what the stouts are. And then the next one they get is stout resilience. And this is where I think the flavor really comes out. Uh, you have advantage on saving throws against poison, and you have resistance against poison damage. I like this a lot, but if I'm going to roll a stout halfling, I'm going to just roll a dwarf. Yeah, you think so? I think I would rather roll a dwarf than a stout halfling. You don't think that poison, the poison resistance is useful? Oh, poison resistance can be useful. 
For sure. But it's situational. Yeah, I don't it, think you're going to get... I mean, naturally stealthy. I, both of them are pretty situational, right? The light... I think but you compare, I feel, if you're comparing the two, I feel like being naturally stealthy is a hell of a lot better than. I think so too, and I think and you nice thing is you can use that on your whim and when you decide to use it. I feel like there's a good chance stout resilience isn't going to come up off enough. You're going to forget it at the bottom of your character sheet. Yeah, but the thing is, you are going to get better hit points. You are go- and you already have a better chance of fending against poison as well because your constitution, yes, because is because your constitution right? Like yeah. absolutely. Do you think that this is a factor because they drink? <laughs> yes. Right? Like, I, I'm thinking halflings in, in taverns, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. I was, well, I mean, you could call them Guinness halflings, right? Yeah, right. So, but do you think that that's where this, this poison resistance I, comes from? I was picturing it more, you're talking about working raising barns. They're dealing with rat poisons. Maybe they're dealing with fungicides, things like that. They're going to come across plants and pesticides, uh, like exactly. the foragers. Yeah, they're yeah. probably going to get bit by a. Well, we've we've had this discussion about poison. They're going to they're going to accidentally eat a magic mushroom once yeah. in a while, right? Yeah. Accidentally. accidentally, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just lick a toad because what else do you do on yeah. the weekends? Yeah, I am now. Well, they're naturally I'm... curious. No, I yeah. like I'm not, I don't dislike stout resilience. I think it definitely has its place. I mean. Resistance to poison can come in handy so many times. Constitution is a stat you never should dump. Would you almost give, because I feel like that what they're playing off of, what we're talking about, is just that they have a knowledge of the world around them because they're, they have they deal with plants and food and all that kind of stuff all the time. Would you almost say that they advantage on identifying what a poison is? Mm, so like it, you, that's going to depend on their class. Yeah, mm-hmm. more class. Than yeah, so yeah. The, the race right. is what you just kind of naturally get from your culture, mm-hmm. but the class is going to be your level of education. True enough. Right? So I think that you're going to look to your rangers and your druids to know that more so than mm-hmm. whether or not you're just an average halfling, yeah. a halfling commoner. I do now imagine just like, because inst- when we first started talking about the stout one, we were talking about like more like stocky, more like muscular because they're working on a farm. Yeah. I just want a group of fat halflings yeah oh for sure just fat just these portly just roly-poly good good lovely little dudes just drinking beer all day beer bellies galore like it just i that image is delightful to me (laughs) Uh, halfling scholars that sit around the tavern (laughs) yes uh i like it (laughs) they should start a podcast i i like the idea of them being a bunch of like uh like philosophers Mm -hmm. sitting around in town square just drinking like fermented milk and getting drunk off of it like fermented goat's milk and sitting there just do you guys know the legend of the and then they start to talk i was thinking about that the other day and they're and they just are pulling people walking by (laughs) what about their oh just like the strangers in the square yeah not even amongst themselves i was picturing like the old guy sitting in the park well, I think there's a certain amount of that, but I also think that they're going to straight up talk to people. And because they're so sociable, I see them doing that. And either yep. one, Lightfoot or Stout, I could picture them doing that, right? Absolutely. Hilarious. How do you guys feel? Is that enough of a difference between nomadic? Like, one side really loves home, the other side really loves to walk. Is that enough of a cultural difference to warrant the sub-races? Um, I- or would you have split it else somewhere else down the middle? I kind of like it because I like it at the idea. I'm thinking of it as if you had two brothers. One is going to do one thing. The other one is going to do the other. That's yeah. kind of mm-hmm. how I imagine it. Yeah, I think and that's where your problem comes is not necessarily. They shouldn't be considered sub races. They're more subcultures, if that makes sense. Well, and that's that's the argument that everyone is making right now in the D&D world, mm-hmm. right? Is the difference between a sub-race, a subspecies, a subculture, a, the different legacies but and bloodlines. I, I think and- other races do a better job of 
making that divide line clear because it's ba- it's regional based. Halflings aren't regional based; they're cultural based. Yeah, and we're gonna see that actually with the third one uh, for ghostwise halflings. Now, ghostwise halflings trace their ancestry back to a war among halfling tribes that sent their ancestors into flight from Lurin. Ghostwise halflings are the rarest of the Hin, found only in the Chundlewood and a few other isolated forests clustered in a tight-knit clan. Many ghostwise clans select a natural landmark as the center of their territory, and members carry a piece of that landmark with them at all times. Clan warriors known as night gliders bond with and ride giant owls as mounts. That is cool. Because these folks are clannish and mistrustful of outsiders, ghostwise halfling adventurers are rare. It says that you need to ask your DM if you can play one. Yeah. <laughs> they get a bonus to wisdom score instead of charisma or constitution. I like that. And they get silent speech, which means that they can telepathically speak to any creature within 30 feet as long as you share a language with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can only talk to one person at a time. So you can't blast it out. This is not halfling radio. An announcement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how do you feel about this compared to the other two? I don't know that I would want to use this as a player character. I think you can make some really cool NPCs with them. I would have put this sub race into the DM's handbook, much like the Oathbreaker Paladin. In that sense. Yeah, that makes sense. The Eladrin were in there as well. Yes. Right? Just being like weird and a little unwieldy to use. Mm-hmm. Megan, how do you feel about this? Um, I like the fact that they added it in the sense where you, you've you got a charisma-based one, you've got a constitution-based one. It's nice to have a wisdom-based one, so you're covering all your bases for the different classes that you can play. Yeah. Um, so I feel like it's a good add. Flavor-wise, I kind of agree with Brad in the sense where it, it just it's it's not something I think I would play, but it would be interesting to come across one, right? So mm-hmm. especially because of the rarity that they are, I just think that that should be played upon. So it just it doesn't feel like a playable character in my mind. I, but again, I would like to see one in a game somewhere. Yeah, no, I I feel the same way. I don't know how I feel about them getting telepathy. Yeah. That's the one that... It's just weird to me. I'm fine with the wisdom boost. There's a lot of ways to get that telepathy, though. Yeah, there are... Through classes, through spells, through... But it's nice to have it built in. It's just weird that it's built in. And that's the part that, again, leads me towards a DM character. Because you could really mess with the party by just having this voice appear in their head. I really wish that this was a underdark halfling... Mm. Mm. which would make the telepathy feel a little bit better. And I mean, I know we have Darrow, which is technically supposed to be the darker side of the coin for Athlings. Yeah. But Darrow are literally insane magicians. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen a proper underdark halfling with this telepathy because, I don't know, mind player bullshit. Yeah. Right? Uh, Aberration something. I see the telepathy as coming from the fact that they had to be kind of secretive. They hid away a culture that really doesn't communicate vocally very often. Mm-hmm. I see the whole culture almost as they only speak telepathically unless they can help it. They're imagine. secretive. They're hidden. What better way to stay, you know, hidden and out of sight yeah. than to not have to speak vocally and being able to direct your voice mentally at one target. And now imagine them just having a super raspy voice because they never use it. So like, mm-hmm. if they come across someone that they can't speak, they're like, <laughs> yeah. What's up? What's up, guys? Those owl companions sound badass, though. That is pretty cool, but it's just like a weird flavor. Like, I don't... It is. Again, which, again, feels like it leads towards a DMPC, not yeah. a player character. 
Yeah, like when I'm when I'm sitting there saying, all right, everybody's level three. Yes, you can all get a mount. One person shows up with a donkey. The gnome shows up with a riding dog. And then someone shows up with a fucking owl. And I'm like, all right, okay, calm down. You stick to the land. But Terrestrial beings. But I want a beings. turtle. <laughs> Did you know that they get uh, dinosaurs in Everrun to ride? Yeah. That's cool. So I, I'm more excited about that. Now, we will talk about Everrun halflings when we do uh, episodes that are breaking down specifically the Dragon Marks. marks. If you want to jump into that, go listen to our Touring the Multiverse series where we do get into that shit and and do a proper breakdown, but we will do one on our regular podcast as well, getting into the sub-races from Eberron. Mm -hmm. But before we jump out to a shout-out, I'm going to list out all the classes. I want you guys to tell me which one fits, which one of the sub-races fits best, flavor-wise. Per class? Per class. So okay. I'm, I'm going to go through them. I want to know what you guys think mm-hmm. and or if it doesn't fit at all. Okay. If you would just would never make one of these. Okay. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Deal. Artificer. Yes. Uh, that would be, to me, a stout. Why? I like the constitution bonus and I like the resistance to poison, especially if you're going to play the alchemist. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I have no argument with that. That's, that's where I would go as well with that. It's kind of like an alchemist type thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, Barbarian? Barbarian, I wouldn't... I want to get into this later. We're going to talk about some character builds. But I have a hard time, because they're so happy-go-lucky, in putting in rage into these creatures. It could be done, but I would want... If I was a DM and somebody told me they wanted to play a halfling barbarian, I'd say you'd better have a damn tragic backstory to build that much rage into a halfling. Or they just stub their thumb and have like this weird innate ability that they just get mad every once in a while. <laughs> Do we have a subclass? But they would, like be stout. would be stout. You want the constitution because of cons. Yeah. Okay. What about bard? Bard is one hundred percent lightfoot. Yeah, makes sense. You get the you charisma. need the charisma, right? But also, I like the the ghost wise the flavor of it. Yeah, too. the flavor, but the flavor with the light. They travel. They like stories. Blah blah blah. Cleric. Then you would definitely go ghost wise for the wisdom. Yeah, but wisdom aside, I'm talking flavor only. Right? Flavor only, then it's maxing. then you're going lightfoot again. Probably. Actually, you know what? No, I'm going to go uh, stout because the clerics staying at home. They're the ones running. Although we kind of talked about how you aren't going to have big temples to halfling deities. Yeah, but maybe this is the one guy who kind of maintains the little shrine. Do you think cleric makes sense? Would you? Are you going to see? I just it? wouldn't make it. No, I just wouldn't make a halfling cleric. It, yeah. No, it's not really a preferable druid. Druid would be a lightfoot. I'm going to say Ghostwise. I was going to say, yeah, Ghostwise. I agree yeah, with okay. Ghostwise. A, uh, okay. Animals, spore, spore Druid. Yeah. On a bird, it just it yeah. makes sense to me. I mean, the wisdom casting aside, yes. I just like, they're out in the woods. They're, yeah. They mm-hmm. can speak telepathically. with It lines it, up for it me. It yells Druid to me. Yeah. yeah. Fighter? Fighter would have to be stout. stout. You want that constitution. Or I would also do Lightfoot, just... For the charisma and the ability to hide? Yeah. As a fighter, a sneaky hiding. little fighter jumping out. Sneaky fighter. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? If I was to make a fighter as a halfling, archery would be their weapon of choice, not up in your face. Yep. Yeah. Um, Dexterity bonus, right? Feeds right into that. It'd be a dex-based fighter. Monk? Monk would be a light foot. And I do... Well... I could see them go either yeah. way on that, right? Because if they... You can see them meditating by themselves in their own little mm-hmm. house with their own simplistic... Building their own little shrine type thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I could go monk for any one of the three. They can make their own dojo. Yeah, I, I can't see myself being a halfling monk though. Interesting because I'm gonna come back. I'm gonna circle back to that. Paladins. Paladins. Lightfoot. I don't see them being paladins. I do. 
I very and I much will get into it. <laughs> yeah, I, I very much can see them being warriors going out for. They have gods. They've got a pantheon. I can see them mm-hmm. kind of leaning into that, and also having strong morals. I mean, being but, lawful good. Yeah, and, and and remember, they hate oppression, so they yeah. they would go on. They this would fight quest. for it. Yeah. Well, I can see them. I just wouldn't make one ranger. Ranger would have to Lightfoot. be Lightfoot or Ghostwise. I, I like a Ghostwise for maybe a Horizon Walker or. One of the um, Xanathars. One of the Xanathar ones for sure. Your base ranger, I would go Lightfoot, but Xanathars, I'd go uh, Ghostwise. What about uh, Rogue? Rogue I mean, is. This is the standard classic. This is what you go Yeah, for. this is your Lightfoot. Doesn't Rogue. matter which one you get? No. I'm cool. Like, your resistance to poisons yeah, and the con fantastic. makes sense for some rogues. Yeah. Um, the charisma for your face rogue. Yeah. And and the ability Ghost, to hide. The yeah. ghostwise makes sense for being able to be a disembodied voice mm-hmm. and having wisdom for your high perception and shit. Like it, yeah, it fits with any it, any other three. And One. the halfling rogue just makes sense. Yes, right. That's, plus two that's dexterity. The there it is. Yeah. Right Classic there. thief, though. I would go thief subclass. Oh, not necessarily. It doesn't have to be, but I mean, you look at tradition. If you're going hobbit, you're going thief. The assassin. Oh yeah, absolutely. You the can play assassin anyone. that that can't roll a one. Mm-hmm. Sorcerer. Sorcerer absolutely would go Lightfoot. The uh, charisma. I, don't, I like the idea of the ghostwise though. I like the ghostwise as well. I would go Lightfoot just simply because I like it from a flavor perspective. Their homeworld was destroyed by a by the spell plague, which was just raw. Like untethered magic. Mm-hmm. So the idea that there would be a wild magic sorcerer halfling or a group of them makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to go deeper into this later. Okay. Don't you worry. All right. Uh, warlock? Warlock. I love the idea of a halfling warlock first off. But again, charisma caster, you're going to go uh, Lightfoot. I, yeah, but from a flavor perspective, or I can ghost see wise. it. Ghostwise. I can also see it for Stout, though. The oh, idea yeah, that they're at home and they're, mm-hmm. they, they've got... They have a study. They have all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. And then last but not least is wizard. I, I just like, okay, I just love the imagery of a halfling on a bird. And like, just the ghost wise just sits in my brain. Just, like, <laughs> so just being able to wield magic on the back of a bird yeah. is just the flavor for that. I'm, I'm going to say stout because constitution modifier when you're trying to make a concentration tech. Yeah. Is helpful. Um, poisons, again, you can work that into a backstory with they've done work in a lab, they've concocted things. Sure. I don't see it, honestly, fitting I, for any of them. I really wouldn't, I wouldn't play build one. one. I wouldn't no. play one. No. No. I, I would test it out for one shot. I would say a diviner with the telepathy of the of the ghostwise might oh, fit a little bit. If you're doing division or divination wizard where you're already manipulating dice and you have lucky on top of that. Exactly. So I can If you really want to piss off your DM if he's been a dick lately, you make a yeah. halfling divination wizard. write this down for one of Adam's campaigns. Oh, bring it. There are cows that <laughs> fall from the sky, I'm telling you. So, let's uh let's take a second jump into a shout out before we get into our own interesting builds. Before we wrap up, I just want to remind everyone that it, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and at r slash it's a mimic on Reddit. You can always reach out to us through our email at info at it's a mimic.com because we love hearing from you guys and any questions that you send us will get added to the list for upcoming mailbag episodes. Cool, cool, cool. So let us roll some more dice. We're going to sit down. We're going to talk about our unique builds for this. And I feel like we've all got more than one idea. Yes. I had so many. Okay, yeah. cool. All right, let's roll dice. We'll just keep going around the table till we run out of shit. Oh, and I missed. I got a 17. I've got an 18. Oh, it got bumped to a four. I had an 18. It got bumped. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
All right, I'm going to go first, and I'm going to start off with Brad's favorite thing in the whole world, which is charm. My halfling... Oh, I knew it was coming. Charm. Charm, his last name is Dimeshore, because he would walk up and say, Hi, I'm Charm Dimeshore. It gets better. Stop it. it get, no, this is, no. This is yeah. the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> yeah, um, and he had... Every he had what was it seventeen siblings? Each one of them had another name that would build with the last name Dime Shore, including the dead one whose first name was Rada, which was Rotted Dime I'm Shore. Sure. So stop it. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so the list is out there. Yeah. Charm was a gloom stalker. I love and hate charm. Which uh, was a ranger. He also got a level of warlock, and he had a, and he had a level into assassin as well. So he was multifaceted, and he was a lightfoot. I used it because I wanted the charisma for the warlock. But his big thing was he was fast because he had Zephyr strike as a as a ranger, and he would strike really really hard for the first couple of rounds. And then he's relying on his hunter mark, and he's staying way, way, way back out of range. Having the ability to dash and disengage and hide as a bonus action is always useful, especially for someone who's ranged. And the ability to be invisible in the darkness, even to things with dark vision, was nuts. Charm was plucky and happy at face value, and was also possessed by an evil gauntlet that was controlling his mind, had him turn on the rest of the party, and he straight up murdered half of the seven-person Just party. over half, yeah. Yeah, so he straight Four up, seven. as well as kidnapped the beloved NPC and disappeared to go off to be a big bad evil guy later on. Yeah, he killed my favorite character that I've ever made. Yes. So, <laughs> like, so uns- I love Charm. Oh, okay. Unceremoniously just straight up fucking Oh yeah, murdered it, it wasn't glorious in battle or anything, it was... I think you were murdered in your sleep. No, oh, no, fantastic. you dropped uh, fire on me. Oh, that's right. I, yes, I burned you to death. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so Charm was a load of fun to play from a mechanical standpoint because he hit really hard early on and he was able to hit multiple targets Yeah, and become invisible. And I love the idea of him being able to hide as a bonus action, even when he was just beside someone else who was a medium creature. I could get into their space and just disappear between their legs and no one could see me. Bonus points if it's in the dark. Yeah. Right? And so all I had to do is run around, even with the 25-foot movement, it didn't hurt me that badly with the Zephyr Strike, which is one of the spells that's in Xanathar's. I had so much fun, and he was definitely someone that I would recommend that build for. Yeah, absolutely. But he was an unorthodox character and in retrospect had I played him without getting possessed like there was DM yeah there was a lot of uh, shenanigans shall we say to bring that up yeah Dan really poked me behind the scenes to get me to get levels of warlock and shit that I didn't want and I had to make saves all the time and that kind of shit but otherwise if I wanted to continue that way I probably would have made a ghost wise halfling Mm -hmm. just because ghost wise and gloom stalker match made in heaven yeah it's beautiful so that was that was a lot of fun let me tell you as a halfling collecting potions made a lot of sense thematically and nobody Mm -hmm. nobody looked twice no nobody questioned it which is why when I'm starting to throw alchemist fire and drink potions of invisibility I, I did not even have to use my class abilities I was just quaffing potions left, right, and center. Pretty cool. And it was a lot of fun to, to play Charm. I like it. 
Dan so, gave him a lot of alchemist fire, and it killed a lot. No, I only had two. I only had two vials. I killed Dan at level three. Yeah, but <laughs> I, I killed Dan's big bad evil guy, like his tier one, like captain that we had to kill. I just dropped a vial of alchemist fire on him, and he died. One shot. How did Dan not learn to not give you fire objects? Dan had not DM'd me in many, many years, and he had forgotten. And he said, this won't be bad, especially because everyone else was getting little plus one items and shit. I was just taking stuff in the background. He was like, oh, there's also a vial of alchemist fire. And I'm, I'm just quietly, well, no one else can use it. I'll take it. At one point, I had a teddy bear that was full of alchemist fire mm-hmm. as well. And I set up a trap, which was part of my ability to kill the rest of the party. I spent an entire round just loading this into the teddy bear, and no one else knew it. Except Dan. And then I set the teddy bear down right at the mouth of a trap at a door that they needed to use strength to open. And I turned around and walked away. Mm. They used the strength. It tipped the bear. It blew up. Two people died. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I feel like I am allowed to be creative with items and weapons and traps and just ridiculous things because of how pragmatic the halfling is. Yeah. I wouldn't be doing that with a... Let's say Goliath or a tiefling. I'll rely on other things to get that done, mm-hmm. right? So true enough. So who is next? That was I did mm-hmm. roll an because I bought you did. Jersey you did. before. You so. did. I I saw. All right. So let's talk about the paladin. Let's, all <laughs> right. Yeah. So here's what I'm thinking here. So along the sense of what we already spoke to, in the sense that not necessarily will they be going and trudging forth for their god. It would be more of a sense that they have a purpose of their someone's being oppressed somewhere and they just decide that this is their devotion to stop this from occurring. Yeah. And then they get strength from their God to make this happen. So the reason why I kind of wanted to dig into this a little bit more was because I recently watched Deadpool 2 and Domino, the character that Mm -hmm. is extremely lucky. Yeah. I wanted to play off that, but also made everybody else around them very lucky. So as a paladin, you have auras that make things a lot easier for everybody else around you. So somehow with you being in their presence... You were just warping the space-time continuum around you. Exactly. Huh. Making things easier. And if you take Oath of the Ancients, you also get the Aura of Warding, which gives them resistance to damage from spells. So not only are they able to get bonuses on their saves from being a natural paladin in your presence, but now you're also giving them the resistance to the spells that are being fired at them. So they, people will just feel like... And you would just say it... You wouldn't tell them that's what's happening because you're there. Mm-hmm. It would just be... They would think that you were a lucky person. To be around. And people would want to be around you because you just provide that safe space. I also like that this stacks nicely with the brave feature. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right? So that you have advantage on not being frightened. Yeah. So that's a lot of fun for... Right? Yeah. Yeah. Even though mechanically it is not perfect. A lot of people are going to look at that and say, I want a Dragonborn for Paladin. Yeah. Right? Or I want something strength-based or or whatnot. But I, I really, really like that. Also, you can use finesse weapons as a Paladin. You absolutely can. Yeah, absolutely. So that dex is not completely wasted. No. And when you put and dex on top of armor, your stupid freaking... Or sorry, on your AC too, right? Well, depending on your armor, yeah. yeah. But when you put it on top of your fucking saves, mm. right, it starts to get nuts. Because a lot of the time I can't hit a paladin, so I'll throw Ares effects out. Yeah. And most of those are dexterity-based, dexterity right? Yeah. So. I'm also imagining you being in battle with another barbarian beside you and you, like the paladin and the barbarian, are fighting the big bad evil guy and then you just kind of step into a space and hide. Yeah. <laughs> so that you don't necessarily get hit. So you don't have to stack your mm-hmm. AC because you can protect yourself in certain You ways, just right? have to, assuming that they don't move, but if you're both up against the big bad evil guy, you're not disengaging and running. Yeah. You're the meat shields, right? So 
He's benefiting from your aura. Yeah. You are hiding behind him. And you don't even need to leave the square to attack. Yeah. yeah. You just cannot be targeted. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Love it. That's pretty good. Oh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> now, uh, are you going Lightfoot stout or Ghostwise? It would be Lightfoot. Lightfoot. Yeah. Well, the charisma for the power. For the power. Yeah, I feel like it's needed. And again, the sense that one of the ability just to hide when you're in battle. I mm-hmm. thought that was adorable. Just this tiny thing covered in like heavy armor and you just yeah. sit behind a rock. Yeah. <laughs> You can't see me. Yeah. All right, Brad, what do you got? All right. I have a character that I've played with Dan in one shot called Theobald Wildersong, and he was a wild magic sorcerer, mm. which we talked about yeah. the spell plague. That's kind of where that came from. But his wild magic, I had it flavored as it came through a song. Um, so he had the inheritor background, and he had this song that he inherited from the family that's passed down for generations. And when he sings the song, magic happens. And he can't control necessarily what it is, right? Yeah. Well, magic sorcerer, right? So he can kind of at least get it. He's learned with certain intonations he can make certain things happen. But sometimes it just goes wrong or it just goes right. So he was, sorry, you said he was a bard? No. uh, A wild magic sorcerer. sorcerer. Right, yeah. But he got it through song. But he got it through song. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. If it was to go further, he was a light foot, right, for the charisma bonus. And again, the ability to hide was really cool. Mm-hmm. But I really like the idea of just this easygoing halfling has a song from the family, and when he sings it, things happen. Yeah, no, that's that's a lot. I of I like fun. it because it does play on the sense that they do have like a, an ownership of their their history, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's and it could, they could even sing it in their language, and no one can understand it. Yes, right. I and like I didn't intend. I mean. It was a level one one shot, so I didn't get to do much with it. But I definitely saw myself bringing it down to Bard at some point as well. It was gonna be a multi class. Bard like Bards in general with like halflings is dope, especially like, with is... an eloquence with the new eloquence Bard that's come yeah. out. Yeah, I yeah. mean that would be such a wonderful multi class. <laughs> can I go? Yeah, on my next go one. Ahead. All right, so my next one is uh, my other character that I played, which was uh, Gris. Now, Megan and Dan actually met Grisp. He was a pirate. Mm -hmm. And I played him in a campaign for about three sessions. And I loved him. He was a barbarian pirate. Mm. And the idea with Grisp was that he absolutely loved drink. Yeah. He was bitter about about his homeland disappearing. And he was out there trying to find a new group of people to be with. But because he was lawful good, and he ended up with pirates, thinking, these guys, they're out there for adventure. I'm, I'm, he was mm-hmm. lightfoot because I wanted him to be able to hide. He was really enjoying um, playing and, and working with these guys until all of a sudden they were murdering people. Mm-hmm. So he lit the ship on fire while it was floating and swam away. And they were out to hunt him down. Yeah. That was his backstory. So he was landlocked as a pirate. Right. Way deep into the heart of the homebrew world, like in, in the continent. Mm-hmm. But his favorite thing to do was to throw javelins because he was dex based. Right. Um, and I did. Love a good javelin. Yeah. <laughs> and he was good at intimidation. That's why I wanted the charisma as mm-hmm. well. So that was his main thing that he could do. But playing a halfling barbarian was a shit ton of fun. When he wasn't throwing javelins, he had two hand axes. Okay. And he was just kneecapping people. And it was so good. And I was really specific. I'm never going for the kill. Always the amputation. When they hit zero hit points and I want them to die, I just want to cut their leg off. Huh. You can knock them out. You can have them die from blood loss. Whatever. But I cannot reach their heart or brain or throat. Right. So I'm taking them out. Just swinging low. 
Yeah, when you really piss me off, I'm going about a foot, foot higher. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. He was so much fun to play, and he was climbing things all the time because the decks, yeah, right? Absolutely. So up you go. You, I'm going to climb six feet up in the air, which means I'm just three feet above everyone else. Yeah. And then I'm and tossing javelins. Oh, yeah. I say jump in with two axes too. Or? No, I like there was just a lot of fun and flavor for for yeah. Grisp and big mutton chops too because halfling was a lot of fun, but. He was big leather duster mm-hmm. on this tiny little halfling, just swagger and attitude. You guys met him and he was part of the crew. Mm. And only Dan really interacted with him, but he was he was friends with Borgin the cannibal dwarf and Krom the womanizing, disgusting human chef. And then Grisp was the the pirate that was just out there to, to fuck up someone's day. Super protective, loved his new family. On this new ship when he was with you guys. And he was an inn, actually, for you guys to find a druid, which was Charlie's character, right? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. But I'm going to jump on that just real quick because I had a character that was pretty much exactly, very much the same. Basically, I want to see a halfling version of Gibbs from Pirates of the Caribbean. He was really similar to that, except easily enraged and... Yeah, so definitely more easygoing, which is the halfling style yeah. but it's like the ship quartermaster it's more of an npc i wouldn't have it as a pc but mm. no I, it was a lot but of fun being the thick, halfling the thick mutton chops the yeah. pirates so that was one of my notes the exact same idea cool <laughs> Megan, what's, your, what's your next one uh, i also was also kind of a, a barbarian <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> but it was more in the sense of using the totem of the warrior so more of the animalistic side of things because we were talking about why would a barbarian want to like a halfling rage right mm-hmm. they're naturally good hearted yeah. creatures right so I was thinking, well, maybe they just like get tuned to a specific animal that had a raging ability. So sometimes it's not necessarily of their own fruition. It's just the fact that a bear is who they commonly, you know, and they well, stuff a their honey toe. badger and or then it's going nuts. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. or right, just like an otter, and they just get really upset and flap around a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Right? So I just really thought it was really cute, and I just I would have gone with the um, the ghost whatever ghost wise, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and like and then it would have a bird as its friend, not necessarily its mount, but it would just be like, hey man, what's up? Like very nature esque, very like of yeah. the world, very calm. So they do have mm-hmm. that calm mm-hmm. nature to them. Yeah. But then when they get into a battle and something happens, like I feel like this is the character we've talked about this before. Almost list out the reasons why your character would get triggered by something. Mm-hmm. And if they don't get triggered by it, it is just a regular fight. But if they're one of your 10 or 5 triggers occurs in that battle, like your friend gets hurt or mm-hmm. they attack first or right. like those things fall into place, mm-hmm. then the animalistic nature takes forward and this tiny little halfling turns into giant bear, right? I would have every one of those things be a phrase that you say like, hey, I wasn't done talking yet, and the rage kicks in. Yeah. Right? So you've got your catchphrases like for that. Is That's it... my best friend. Yeah. <laughs> I like that a lot. Brad, do you have another one? Uh, yeah, really simple. Uh, just a halfling fighter, part of the town guard, likes to keep the homeland safe, and all of a sudden, an invading force comes in, wipes out the town, and he's just out for revenge. Mm. He's an archer up on the wall. Right, I'm gonna still go with the lightfoot halfling. Yeah, I want to be able to use the bow, maybe even an arcane archer, something like along those lines. Yeah, but yeah. So for a halfling, right, family is everything. Yeah, and as soon as you lose that home, yeah, you're you're gonna want that revenge. You're not you're gonna be seeking to. Yeah, and I feel like that speaks to what we talked to at the the very beginning was the sense that just because they are good-hearted, good-natured people Mm -hmm. doesn't mean bad things haven't happened to them that they would want to rectify, fix, or adjust, or have a mission in 
incense where it does make them a little insane to people sometimes. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I mean, I'm going to speak to every 14-year-old that listens to this podcast. You really shouldn't. You think about that happy-go-lucky family, but you've got that trauma and how like weird it is to mm. you feel distanced and whatnot. And every 14-year-old out there that puts on eyeliner, but their parents are like happy, church-going, friendly, mm-hmm. and they're like, no, my life is dark and evil. Right? Everyone's Personally emo attacked. face. <laughs> <laughs> So, no, I think that that makes a lot of sense. It also makes it so that you are feeling that level of, what's the word I'm looking for? The the distance between you and everyone else. You're alienated. Absolutely. Because you're not as happy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, I got one. You said you didn't like him for monks. Yep. In Sword Coast Adventures Guide, I'm going to read this verbatim. The Hin Fist, a halfling monastic order from Lurin, adherents of the Hin Fist turn their people's natural confidence into a spiritual path for mastering themselves and their potential. A few Hin Fist masters have established monasteries in lands outside of Lurin, where the teachings available only to halflings have been opened to students of other races, who are willing to follow the path laid out by Yolanda. Hinfist monks generally follow the way of the open hand, as described in the monistic tradition class featured in the player's handbook. So there is your reason for it. If you take your decks, and I mm-hmm. would say your ghost-wise, so you get your wisdom for your key points, and, and they're very wisdom-based, right? Mm-hmm. So between those two and your ability to be a little telepathic... Would you have your ghost-wise be part of that monastic tradition, though? I would, from this flavor, from the, from this point, I think that I would... I like the idea of them being a little bit charismatic, but I don't see the point of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, con is really important as well, but then the resistance to poison feels... Well, I, I understand statistically. I'm talking... Like from a flavor? From a flavor perspective. I, I How would, do you justify you know, an alienated part of the race? Well, all you have to do is have their clan be gone. Mm. right? Or have them go out into the world away from their clan and, and then join the nearest halfling community, which happens to be... A monastery. Right. Right. And so they've gained some. Um, yeah. But monks get all of those bonuses to speed. So suddenly your 25 feet doesn't matter anymore. You're just super fast. Yeah. Super fast little halfling. Yeah. I, I can totally see monk. I think the reason I didn't do monk for halflings is because I just don't like monks. And that's a personal thing. I know that they're great and they're powerful. Mm. It's just one that's never. You just don't like monks, huh? Monks is. Yeah. The monk is a great. Or as a class has never grabbed me. The problem with monks in general, and this isn't a monk episode, but we've talked about this on the other monk episodes. Um, The problem with monks is that they are so narrowly defined. A monk is a monk, despite the different classes, Mm -hmm. or the different subclasses. There are differences. That's not always true. Think outside the box. Anything from a race to a background is going to change your flavor. But when you have something like clerics, which can be one of a million things, or Mm -hmm. bards, or rogues, or wizards... And then monks, you know what you're getting into with punch, the monk. punch, 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 punch. Pretty much, right? Or I just you... finished watching Cobra Kai, so did you like it? I loved it. Everybody I know loves it. I just don't care. Ugh. I haven't started it, but I I just Watch don't it. care. Like you just have to, you just have to get past like the first episode of like cringe because of the character that you ready for this as an adult. I've never watched Karate Kid. Neither is my partner. Yikes. Yeah. Okay, I'm a few years older though, and that's. That yeah, I, I just kind of my... I missed that boat. Yeah, oh, there's there's that. some things that you just you don't catch the first time around, and so yeah. you just don't get around. The to nostalgia's it. not there. There was what no... about the three little ninjas? You, I remember the, it the existed. Rocky. Three ninjas. Uh, yeah, what was Tum Tum? Tum Yeah, and uh, was it? Sh- I want to say Shadow, but no, that was um, that was a Homer Bound. That was a Homer Bound. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Stop it. Very similar. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. 
Um, it makes me want to mail to Monk because I just yeah. finished watching Cobra Kai. So. Uh, Megan, do you have another build? I don't. No, I'm, uh, I'm tapped out. We've already touched on it, but the Divination Wizard. Yeah. It's just when you put Lucky in there, you put Dice Manipulation. It makes sense thematically for one. And two, just the math. Just make Willow the character. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. I mean, you're going to be a little bit of a munchkin and you're... I almost, as a DM, want you to start rolling some of these things while other people are playing, mm -hmm. right? Just because your turn can take forever. Oh, for sure. You need to be on top of it. You need to be prepared. You need to you know what you're getting ready, into. And you need yeah. to know what you want to do ahead of time. Yeah. So um, I really like that. The only thing that I, I really like that we haven't touched on, it's funny that none of us really made a rogue. Yeah. Well, it's too classic. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, not, it's not an unusual build. Yeah. But the Ghostwise Druid makes a lot of sense. Ghostwise Druid makes add, a lot yeah, of sense. We're going to touch on one, though, that it's in a bit, I think, that makes even more sense for a Druid. Okay. Cool. So let's uh, let's wrap this episode up, then, in case you guys have any final thoughts. Um, I just really love halflings. I feel like they're just underplayed in my opinion i find that they're under supported in forgotten realms yeah right mm. like you get a lot of flavor even in the modules you don't get a you get some npcs yeah but there's not, not a, lot. a lot i mean i'm guilty as anybody for using them as the tavern keeps and that's you what, know that's what they tend to be used for right and because it just makes sense yeah right Easy to talk to. Your your PCs yeah. can like, well, get I mean, info out of them. No if problem. you're the kind of person who wants to meet new people, learn about other cultures, what better job than to have them keep in a town that adventures past them? Yeah. My big thing is I like using them as fat mayors. Yeah. Fat halflings. I can see that. It's my favorite thing in the world now. So, so the <laughs> idea of, of the fat mayor that just – and he's the mayor from Jaws. We have a festival opening. I know it's dangerous, <laughs> but we're going to open the beaches anyway because everybody needs to have a good time because it's a harvest mm -hmm. festival. Like, he's just the kind of dumb mayor from Jaws. I love using halflings for that, especially because they're not building massive temples. City Hall mm -hmm. is not huge. They're not doing shrines to gods or having giant colossus-type statues. Their, their village can be rich, but all they do is spend that money on... Weatherproofing for winter mm -hmm. and feasts, Fest, feasts and festivals. Yeah. yeah, and that's it. It's simplistic yeah. and it's straightforward, and it's almost we are preserving our way of life, and that means that that farmer over there who had a really bad year is used to this quality of living. Everybody else who had a good year, help them out, yeah. right? And so they are preserving their traditions as much as possible. But I really like them as fat mares and. I like them in places of, of power and positions of mm -hmm. like the halfling prince. I just confused some Harry Potter fans. The halfling <laughs> prince. I seem like Terry yeah. would be very confused. Yeah, right now. Um, is a <laughs> lot of fun because you just yeah. I'm a, I'm a prince. I'm not a prince here, but I'm a prince. I'm a prince, and it's all good. And yeah, I've got money. But why do you need some? Yeah, right. Like and just kind of laid back and easy going until you get to the weirdly xenophobic ghost wise. Mm -hmm. um, and they're almost like elves hiding in yes. the woods, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I very much see them as elves. I really love the halfling chef as well. Yeah. Is the other one that I really like. More I, fat halflings. Fat More fat halflings. halflings. But I just, 
they should have a penchant for cooking. It just makes sense with the nature of... I like halfling bards now. Now I want to see a troop of traveling mm-hmm. clowns. Absolutely. Where you clowns. Just, yeah, specifically oh clowns where you have the carriage roll up and it's a covered wagon and then like 400 of halflings come rolling out the back <laughs> oh. of it. I hate everything that you just described. And they, they make like a, they're like a human pyramid of halflings I, and it's like 55 halflings but only goes up like two stories. <laughs> I hate that I didn't see that coming. I don't like it. Wait, do you not like clowns? I hate clowns. Did I know this? At one point, maybe. Okay. I don't talk about it often. Because then people always tend to show you clowns. Yeah. Oh, really? It. Even this one? And yes. then they show you a picture yeah. on the like, phone? That's hands yeah. down the first thing that happens whenever you say it. Yeah. So, no, that's that's fair enough. I just like the idea of a bunch of, like, like halfling hobo level clowns, right? Like, the hobo clowns, but their halflings are all running around with fake stubble painted on. Well, see, I would see more of a touring <laughs> acrobatic troupe. Yeah, I could see, like, like Cirque du Soleil. Yeah. But it's, like, they're just... Only you know, it's not as impressive because it's only eight feet off the ground. But it's like the flea circus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Is that mean? <laughs> so I want to see more halflings and I as NPCs. I also want to see little halfling villages, and I don't know. I want more out of that for fifth edition. And we're not mm-hmm. we're not getting enough of that. No. Although they are really present in Waterdeep and Baldur's Gate, and these but again, they're your shop so. owners. They're your right. They're they're yeah. simplistic. They're not yeah. heroes. No. Right? Which is why I love Bilbo, mm-hmm. who is, I mean, not a traditional halfling. He's a hobbit. Hobbit, but, but... But the idea that he went out and adventured and everyone else thinks he's weird because he yeah. did it. Yeah. Well, it's not like... Because the, the halfling bard that I made in the Strahd campaign, she has no idea that they're trying to kill Strahd. She, <laughs> her, her, all she knows is she's traveling around with these people and her job is to make people happy. Like, that is her job. And she just, like, banded herself with these folks because they're... She's got to be frustrated in Barovia then. I get... Well, <laughs> there's been times. But, <laughs> but like, you know, like, it's just... I like that aspect of them is that they're just... They they know what they love. They know what they like. And they stick to it, right? Mm-hmm. So. Cool. All right. So that is it for this episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, you can head to www.itsamimic.com and hit our fancy donate button. Or tell your friends and the rest of your D&D party about this podcast. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as most podcast apps. And don't forget to come on back for next week when we're covering the wizards. Wizards. <laughs> wizards. And it's the evil wizards, too, so that'll be fun. Oh, who gets to cover that episode? I think that's me and Dan, and I want to say, I don't know. It's me it, and might, Dan. it might be to be a fly on I the wall. I'll have to look at it. <laughs> You've reached the end of another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. Connect with us at itsamimic.com. Don't forget to subscribe and hit those share buttons. Thanks for listening and see you next week. All right, so I know that we're done doing the regular halflings for Forgotten Realms, and I know that we said that we would cover the two halfling dragon marks for Eberron in a future episode. There's really nowhere for us to cover the one that's in... Uh, Exandria, are you guys familiar with Critical Role? I am. I'm not going to go so far as to identify myself with the critters because they are intense, but I've listened to a good chunk of the podcast. I've watched half an hour of one episode. I have been forced in a car to listen to some episodes, but like in the middle of, and most of me listening to it is someone else explaining what's happening over top of it. Mm. My biggest issue with it is just how much time you have to invest. That's the thing. You basically need to be part of the campaign. 
Yeah, it's um, like if I wanted to go back and start watching Dragon Ball from the very oh, beginning. Yeah. Okay, well, right? I do that or, once a year. <laughs> or, 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 hey, I'm going to go do a Doctor Who run through. Like, yes. where do you start? Never right? seen yes. Doctor Who. Oh, it, it's fantastic, it but it's an undertaking. You, you have to get into it. invest. If you're not already a Star Trek fan, where yeah. do you start and how many series are you going to watch? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, Next there, generation. <laughs> there are some large <laughs> fandoms out there in Critical Roles. Uh, is, yeah. is it's one, one of them. And honestly, I think it's a fantastic podcast. I just can't invest the way that It makes me jealous do. when I do listen or hear anything. So I'm just like, I wish I could do voices the way that they do. Yeah, and Dan is our mm-hmm. local one. So uh, yeah. you guys are going to have to bear with me. I'm going to read it right out of the Wild Mount book. All right. Um, the Explorer's Guide to Wild Mount. They have a unique kind of halfling. They do. So bear with me on this. I'm going to read it verbatim. Then I want to hear a unique build from each of us, okay? All right. Mm-hmm. Nearly every, every race in Exandria has an origin myth or two. The stories vary from realm to realm, but it's clear that Coralon, the Archheart, who is the elven god, uh, wove the elves from grass, Moradin, the Allhammer, carved the dwarves from earth, and so on. Halflings across Wildmount have no such stories, and no faiths to tell of their god creating the small folk. Some speculate that Evandra, the Changebringer, placed halflings in the world, but despite some of Ayun's most devout priests petitioning their god to reveal the truth of the halfling's creation, the knowing mentor has remained infuriatingly coy on the topic. Hmm. We're talking about a lot of gods that I know nothing about. Yeah. It's its own pantheon, its own world. For their part, halflings of the Dwendalian Empire and the Menagerie Coast don't much care where they came from. All they know is that they walked out of a hole in the ground one day to find a beautiful world spread out before them. Some longed to explore the world's farthest horizons, while others were content to gaze upon the beauty of the same sunrise each morning. Plenty of halflings have joined the cobalt soul over the years in desperate search of answers to the world's biggest question, where do we come from and where are we going? Where did you come from, Cotton Eye Joe? Pretty much. But most halflings are content to leave the questions of past and future well enough alone, simply living in the present. That really does seem to line up with the two kinds that mm-hmm. are in the players. Halflings in general. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yep. So halflings of the Dwendalian Empire, generations ago, the halflings of the Felder clan established a settlement now known as Felderwin Tillage and discovered in time that they had inadvertently created an agricultural powerhouse. The word halfling has been synonymous with simple rural lifestyle ever since. The dutiful, orderly people of the Dwendalian Empire most often think of halflings as carefree country bumpkins. In a nation obsessed with its heritage and its legacy, the stereotypical halfling philosophy of living life in the moment is viewed as pathetically unambitious. Interesting take. Pathetically unambitious. Not just unambitious. Halflings of the Menagerie Coast. People in this part of the world have no real assumptions about halflings. Most perceive them on a level with humans, having similar ambitions, virtues, and vices. The only difference is that halflings are a wee bit smaller from prow to stern, and a fair bit bigger from port to starboard. I know nothing about this, but it's, it's a coast, and it sounds... There's water and stuff. Shipish. <laughs> yeah. Halflings are common enough on the Clovis Concord uh, that just about every vessel, shop, tavern, coffeehouse, and brothel has been designated, or has been designed, rather, with halflings and gnomes in mind. Stairs often have shallow steps for small legs. Stools feature hand cranks to adjust their height up and down. And most restaurants have utensils sized for small hands. I, think I love that. Very nice. <coughs> Damn it, Dan. Halflings in Jorhas. I don't know if I'm saying Jorhas. Jorhas. Few Jorhasians have ever seen a halfling, except for the occasional halfling soldier, in Dwendalian armor. 
Because of this, most Kryn citizens view halflings as icons of the Empire and are quick to distrust them. Only the Lotus Den halflings, a reclusive and insular clan native to Lotus Den Greenwood, called Jorhas home. So that's our locals and our our gods. You get mm-hmm. this is a little yeah. bit of a different flavor. But it's, it's a very massive much, worlds. Yeah, it's but it's very much still in the flavor of oh, yes. what we were given in the player's handbook. Yeah. So here's what we get. We get the Lotus Den halfling. Uh, long tied to the natural heart of the Lotus Den Greenwood, these halflings have adapted to live synergistically with the chaotic laws of the wilds. Your wisdom score increases by one. And you get something called Child of the Wood, where you get some spells. Mm-hmm. You know Druid Craft is a cantrip. When you reach third level, you can cast the Entangle spell once with this trait and regain the ability to do so when you finish a long rest only. And when you reach fifth level, you can cast the Spike Growth spell once with this trait and regain the ability when you finish a long rest as well. Casting these spells with this trait doesn't require material components. Wisdom is your base spellcasting ability. You also get Timberwalk. Ability checks to track you have disadvantage, and you can move across difficult terrain made of non-magical plants and undergrowth without expending extra movement. Mm -hmm. How do we feel about this? Let's roll dice really quick. All right. Yeah. I'm last again. I got a 19. 19. Yay, I'm awesome. All right, so... Uh, I like wisdom for this. They seem to be another insular clan, like the ghost wise. I like it's mm-hmm. a little bit different. They're far more druidic, yeah, um, which is a lot of fun. But there are two different kinds of druid. There's happy hippie go lucky, and then there's the dark Celtic druids of Stonehenge with you know ash and soot painted on their faces, and and the second one feels ghost wise. These yes. guys feels like the hippies to me with the druid craft and yeah. the mm-hmm. entangle and the more traditional druid. I'm cool with it. Yeah. That's fine. I don't like timber walk. I think it's too much. You, you think, yeah. yeah, too much? Yeah. Just give it to rangers. Mm-hmm. It feels it feels like a class, not a <clears throat> not a racial thing, especially because timber walk is all about plant growth and entanglement, but there's nothing stopping it from being applicable in the Arctic or in an urban setting. Yeah. Yeah. I right. mean, but like there's also is, spells that do pretty much almost the same thing. So if you were to take this and do something like a druid or like an earth domain anything in the world, yeah. you could take the spells that can do something similar. Yeah. So I, it feels unnecessary on one hand um, if you're already going that direction from a flavor standpoint. Which, I mean, if you're making one of these characters, you're making one of three things, right? You're making a druid, you're making a ranger, or you're making a nature domain cleric. Oh, you can make There's some other options, but you, you can make a barbarian pretty you easily could. with this. You could Oath of the Ancients Paladin. <laughs> yeah, mm. um, so I, there there are some options in there, but I don't I don't know. I'm not a fan of the Timberwalk. I like the rest of it well enough. Yeah. Who who is next? Uh, me. Um, yeah, I don't mind it. I think that if we're again, it, it, it strikes me the same as the Ghostwise one did, where it's so specific. Where the other ones are so very broad in yeah. the sense where mm-hmm. I am either a traveler or I am at home, but you can choose what that looks like for your character. This is very specific in the sense where if you pick this character, you've kind of built what your backstory is. You know is. where you're from. You know you where know, you're from. You know, you know what's happening. You know what your rules and rights are. You know what yeah. you're doing, right? So mm-hmm. this is more of the, if you're going to build a character that you didn't want to have too much creative freedom with, I feel like this is one you would do. Or to our point earlier, more of a DM use. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I see it as if you were going to be building, you wanted to play a halfling druid, 
this is a perfect fit. Yeah. yeah. You want to play that halfling ranger? This seems reasonable. Yeah, ranger. I mean, would fit, if but... you had something that already kind of had this nature bent to it, and you want to play a nature halfling, especially with wisdom. Yeah. Do you guys, would you let somebody port this over from Exandria into Forgotten Realms no, or anything else? I don't see any reason to. If you're playing in Exandria, use it, but I don't I don't think that it's a niche that needs to be filled. No, because you could just you could just build a halfling, a light foot halfling to do what this thing does, basically. Well, that's the Druidcraft spell, and you know, it's those couple spells that, you could have some fun with them, but I don't see the need for it. Yeah, you know what, I, look, I'm a big fan of do what you want to do, I would let... Yeah. I'm going to let Dragon Marks into my Forgotten Realms, and mm -hmm. I would let this in, no problem. If someone specifically came to me with it, sure, but I'm not going to be building NPCs in my Forgotten Realms world that are from... Well, if, if I'm willing to let the gravity or time-based wizard yeah. come in, sure. right, or or some of the other things from... Uh, like they've got some unique builds on orcs and things. I have no problem with this. I... I don't like tying spells to racial abilities as a general rule, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but these are such an afterthought. These spells are nothing. Yeah, right. It's a it's a cantrip, which is a very flavorful but relatively weak cantrip. It's a level think, one spell. I think which, that's what I like for races, though. I want if you're going to give them a spell, give them something that's flavorful but not yeah. But I mean, and, and that's my point is I I like the fact that they're weaker. Entangle is important, yeah. sure. But you're not going to have the modifier to cast this to make it a super crazy uh, save against it unless you're leaning into that druid shit anyway. Yeah. So you would already, you would have, already it. have access so I don't to the spell. Care, yeah. Right? So you might as well have it. So You're going to use it to trip your partner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but that's it. So I don't know. I like the Lotus Den. I think it's a lot of fun. I have no problem including them as the... An option. As the option maybe that's on Lurin. If you were to go there, mm. like for a plot hook, and you find this unique kind of halfling there, yeah, interesting. I see Lurin. I would play it with an Atlantis bend. Yeah, that's cool. But I like the idea that it has come up out of the water, and there are just kind of wild halflings, yeah, around, yeah. right? And that's what this feels like: wild magical halflings, because the spell play get them, right? Right. So that's why they have spells and. Mm -hmm. And they're mysterious because they do have timber walk. And sure. So that's that's kind of where I would come from it's, with that. So I don't see a harm in it, but I don't also I also don't not, have a draw to it or yeah, a desire. I'm, I'm not looking for it. No. Not excited I, about it. No. It, yeah. But I mean, ask your DM. Yeah. Sure. There's no harm in it. And as a DM, if a player asked me, I'd say, yeah, go for it. This is not this is not game breaking. No. Like some of the other things that have come up in the later books. So or so, luck. <laughs> or the luck. Yeah. So love it. Great. All right. Okay, bye.